Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm Sam. I am glad to be back with you for this edition of To the Lifeboats live stream. Okay, some of you have kind of wondered where I went. Well, I've been in Naples, Florida, working the hurricane. I've got some stories and some life lessons for you about, you know, having an employee mindset versus an owner mindset because it did not go so smoothly down there. And I think you guys are going to like hearing about some of the antics and things that went on. Um, I have been a little bit out of the loop as far as, uh, you know, what's happening because I've been just working super long days down there. Um, I have kind of noticed generally looking at some of the content others are putting out that there's a lot of people now like taking victory laps. And while yes, um, the dam has broken and the floods are coming, as far as the normies waking up, we're going to look at a little few examples of that tonight. Uh, there's still a long, long ways to go. And um, I just don't get the whole, I told you so kind of thing. There's a lot of people dead. There's a lot of people that are still going to die. Um, we're going to look at the the ethical skeptics sort of latest facts and figures are just what I've, what I last referenced or saw from him. I mean, it's, it's pretty horrific what's happening and it's affecting and touching more and more people. And there is no more bearing the truth. Uh, and something else really interesting happened in the last week. I've been back kind of recovering and so forth. And that was, well, Twitter, which I got kicked off of uh, shortly before I left for the trip. And a lot of you are asking me, are you coming back? Are you coming back? And like, frankly, I'm just tired of putting a bunch of time and energy into a platform that's just going to wipe you away on a whim, right? doesn't matter if what they're saying is lies. They are literally have been colluding with the White House, with the government to censor opinions that are damaging to their narrative. And like, why do I even want to be on a platform like that? So now that Elon has taken over, there's this great little tweet here from the, or meme here from the Squid Games. It's showing the CEO and the legal woman who was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast that just made these ridiculous, oh, well, we have reasons for all of the, these bands and so forth. And of course, this is the, the red light, green light game where they a bunch of people get shot and gunned down and you had the fake employees coming out of Twitter talking about, uh, yeah, he fired everyone and I have a Tesla and I don't know how I'm going to be able to make my payments now. And they were totally trolling the media. That was so, so great. Um, it started here with this tweet. I think the bird is freed. And of course, Elon walked into the Twitter headquarters uh, saying, let the sink, let the sink in as he was carrying a bathroom sink to tell him, Hey, I'm coming and things are changing. Now, what exactly has changed? Well, nothing yet. Uh, Twitter will be forming a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. Of course, he's taken Twitter private, right? And it's no longer a publicly traded or it's going to be delisted as a publicly traded company. No major content decisions or account reinstatements will happen before the council convenes. And that's kind of my position. If they want to give me back the old accounts that have 22 and 33,000 followers, fine. I'll come back to Twitter. But if it's going to be start over again, 
I don't know if I want to invest that energy in this platform anymore. So we'll see. I don't know. Just kind of taking a wait and see approach as far as Twitter goes. Um, and I, as soon as I saw that, that picture right there that like all the same content moderation rules are in place. I'm thinking about the Twitter moderators. This is the guy deciding which button to press. One is the ban. The other is keep my job. (laughs) I do have to, uh, kind of chuckle at, um, where those guys find themselves these days. Of course, Taylor Lorenz, the journalist who cries if you challenge her viewpoint with facts and logic, said, it's like the gates of hell have opened on this site tonight. (laughs) At one of the blue checks, letting a reckless ideologue take full control of what is essentially a public utility less than two weeks before election day is insane. Of course, it wasn't a public utility when Twitter was censoring everyone that the blue check here agreed with. Then it was definitely a private company. But now that Elon's taken over and taken it private, now it's definitely a public utility. So they are freaking out. And the reason is because, you know, people like Debunk the Funk and some of these other skeptics and so forth, they, their arguments can't survive. If people like me are allowed to actually go in there and fight without both hands tied behind our back and, and a bag over our head because of the censorship. So that's going to be washed away, hopefully. We'll see. You know, you you have this idea in government that a benevolent dictator is kind of the best system you can hope for as far as when it comes to governments. And that's something we're going to talk a little bit about tonight, reducing the size and scope of the government because we have to. I, you know, I've, I've referenced this plenty of times before. Oh, lovely. Sorry, I'm getting a bunch of boxes popping up. Um, I've referenced we have to tear these agencies down and replace them with nothing. Elgato Mallow has written some articles about it, and we're going to dive into those later on in the show. Um, it's, yeah, it's imperative that we do something to cut back, and, and I mean gut, by cut back, I mean gut the government. And leave it absolutely bare bones, or in my case, get rid of it entirely. Why do we need this? Why do we need one group of people exercising a monopoly on violence on the others? They just can't be trusted with it. So uh, here's Matt Walsh saying, Twitter employees have happily censored, deplatformed, and taken livelihoods away from people who did absolutely nothing wrong. I'm glad they're getting fired right now. Now, this was in response to the the pranksters that trolled the media about getting fired. Uh, They get no sympathy from me. You all deserve it. This every bit of it, you had it coming. Now it's here. (laughs) I just, I gotta love these. All right. Oh, uh, let me see here. Of course, what's happening as far as with these vaccines or with these gene transfection therapies that they want us to believe are vaccines. Well, we had this bodybuilder shockingly dies in his sleep at the age of 43. And of course, I mean, maybe if he had just taken better care of himself or eaten better, he'd still be alive today. Yeah. Cause this was just a coincidence. 2022 hasn't been a great one for the bodybuilding community earlier this year. Bodybuilder Paul Polzek of Poland passed away just hours after participating in the NPC worldwide 
championship in Germany, just 37 years old. Got another one a month earlier. Renowned bodybuilder Cedric McMillan has passed away after suffering a heart attack at the age of 44. And now they're talking about uh, Andreas Frey, the one that the story's about, was just 43 years old at the time of his death. And he has a nutrition brand and just in incredible shape. And of course, they're missing one. There's also, oh, why aren't you switching? Oh, no, there we go. There's also this guy right here, Sean, uh, bodybuilder, author, trainer, champion, Doug Brignall has passed away today. Cause of death still to be determined. Doug just finished a new book last year. He was promoting on Amazon called the physics of resistance. And he's got this famous tweet where he's talking about, he took the shot and if he's wrong, he'll die. And, uh, if, but if, if he doesn't, then all of you anti-vaxxers need to admit that you were wrong and apologize and you didn't protect other people. Well, guess what? He's dead. And then we've got young Glasgow dad uh, dies suddenly as tributes paid to one of a kind Celtic fan. I think he was 28 years old. Here's another young Scott found dead in his bed due to pick up keys. He was in his thirties, pick up keys to his new house that day. You've got this suffix uh, in the UK, local radio DJ Tim Goa, Goa dies while presenting the morning show. You've got this high school that had to cancel the rest of football season because, well, they can't get enough healthy players. And they're not the only one. There were several others mentioned in the article having to do the same thing. Why can't they get enough healthy players? What could it possibly be? This 18-year-old cheerleader dies suddenly from pulmonary embolism, often caused by blood clots. What on earth could possibly be happening? I, I can't imagine. Can't imagine. Right? And, of course, we also have uh, this school right here. At least 1,000 Stafford High School students have called out sick this week with flu-like symptoms and stomach pains. Now, before I left, a few shows back, uh, I think it was three or four months ago, we talked about the rise in GI that's, that's been coming out as of late. And this school has 2,100 students, and a 1,000 of them, almost half of them, are out sick right now with flu-like and GI symptoms. What could possibly be going on? Well, here they are. Our school is currently experiencing an illness outbreak. Several students and staff members have reported flu-like gastrointestinal symptoms and are absent. We're currently investigating the symptoms and are working with the health department to identify the root cause of the illness. Well, good luck. I'm betting they're not going to figure it out. Dr. Ba they're going to call Dr. Baffled and he will just be baffled at what's going on. At this time, we do not anticipate closing the building, so they're closing for the weekend, canceling all the sports and school events so that they can clean the school because that's the problem here, not the compromise of immune systems of the kids who took the shots and those who are around the shedding that are getting sick. Because remember, we had that report of the one student that got vaccinated, came in, came to school, was sick going forward after that, and then a bunch of other kids in the school got RSV for some strange reason that Dr. Baffled just 
can't figure out. So, yeah, the, the advice here is wash your hands frequently for at least 20 seconds. Don't touch your eyes, nose, or mouth. Cover your mouth. <laughs> nose when sneezing or coughing. I'm laughing, but it's not funny at all. It's not funny what they've done to these kids, that they continue gaslighting with this kind of bullshit when it's blatantly, painfully obvious what's been done to humanity with these chemical injections. And it's, I think it's really kind of starting to hit home here. Especially with Megan Kelly. I gotta tell you that something really sad happened in my family over the weekend. Um, my sister died. Uh, she was 58. Her name was Suzanne Crosley. And she died suddenly on Friday of a heart attack. Um, she hasn't been in very good health over Paging the past Dr. couple of Baffled. years. It's like sort of one problem after another. Uh, so it was sudden and it was it was unexpected. Um, and I went up, got news of it after the show and went right up and was there. With my mom and my brother Paul and my my nephew Brian, one of her three kids, when she passed. So it was really hard. It was extremely emotional. My poor mom, as you all, as all moms and dads out there know, this is not the order in which this is supposed to happen. No, it's not. But did you notice what she just said there? She's been having problems for a while, like what, the last two years since she got the gene transfection therapy that they spent $10 billion propagandizing to convince you that it was a vaccine and oh by the way it's 100 percent safe and effective you need to take it to protect others and well guess what folks megan kelly she fell for that here's a tweet from hers this is september of 2021 listen to any one of the shows i've done on covid she's responding to a guy with a david from a guy with a million followers that's chastising her for being an anti-vaxxer <laughs> and she's saying listen to any one of the shows i've done on covid and you will hear me say i'm pro-vaccine and think everyone should get vaccinated including last fridays kids are different covid risk is lower heart risk is more concerning in short please study your ass from your elbow so she's you know not completely lost here she sees that the data shows now she doesn't understand the situation that we're in right that how this system has been compromised and weaponized against us i saw that ainsley Earhart's mom died over the weekend wonder why too it's just a reminder to hug the people you love right how short and tenuous life is and how important it is to stay close to the people you love you know we can't all be perfect on that front but we can make a little effort day by day just to, you know, shoot a text or return a call. I'm never very good at that. So it's a big reminder to me. Um, and just how fleeting things can be, right? And how we get ourselves so upset over shit that doesn't matter. This is one that does. And then you, of course, find out who your friends are and who the jerks are uh, in a situation like this too. And I'm happy to say so many more friends than jerks. Um, is it a reminder or is it a warning, right? 
a warning that something is wrong. Something is very, very wrong. Because right now we've got, according to the ethical skeptic, we're running about 8,000 excess deaths above the baseline. What normally, you know, what we normally see for deaths, we're seeing an extra 8,000 every single week. We're closing in on 400,000 excess deaths since that week 14 MMWR, week 14 back in April of 2021 when uh, we reached peak vaccination and all the metrics started turning for these various ICD codes. Remember when we did the ethical skeptics breakdown on that? We're at 8,000 every week and closing on 400,000 excess deaths. And we're still here pretending like this is normal and everything's fine. And it's, it's sad. It's sad. The CDC, they're engaged in a cover-up right now. They're trying to label these as COVID as the primary cause with cancer as the secondary cause. Because remember, cancer is the one that's the nine sigma over the, the baseline of what's normal. Which, you know, two sigma I think is like once in 200 years. Nine sigma is like tens of billions of years that this would randomly happen without something actually being at cause. And by the way, it correlates to not only that week at 14 MMWR, but if you look at the age group, because they did, you know, they staggered the rollout by age and progressively went to younger and younger groups. We've looked at that data too. And what does it show? Oh, it shows those age groups turn the corner and it correlates with the shots being rolled out. So we know what's happening. It's just these people are still not ready to face it. But it's getting harder and harder to look around and not comprehend what's happening. And she, to her credit, she had uh, Robert, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., I think, RFK, the Children's Health, De- De- Health Fund, Defense Fund, whatever it is, CHD, I think, Children's Health Defense um, organization on her show to talk about, you know, have a real honest conversation about these gene transfection therapies. Um, So, yeah, the reason why the CDC is doing the cover-up, well, because the truth that they rolled out this deadly compound that's now killing 8,000 people a week is more dangerous to them than if they get caught for the cover-up, which means it's all coming out anyways. So they really are going to do whatever they can to get away with this. That is the phase that we're in. And uh, I'm guessing this viewpoint here puts me in the jerk category as far as she's concerned. Um, Here's another guy, Guy Benson. He's talking about, I was just chatting with a friend in Mississippi when the J&J pause happened. He'd gotten the J&J shot. People were worried for him. Multiple vaccine skeptics in his life said, told you so. And his recently converted sister reversed course and decided not to get vaxxed. Take a bow, FDA. <laughs> so she's replying to that tweet and saying, "I and this is April of 2021, I'm getting the J&J vaccine this weekend. Have zero qualms because I've spent a life immersed in media obsessed with fear-mongering that is often irresponsible and untrue. 
do what your doctor tells you to do and ignore everyone else. And you see what Megan Kelly failed to comprehend here is that the doctors now they work for the hospitals, right? And, uh, the hospitals, they're going to do what the CDC recommends for treatment because that rings the cash register for them to the tune of 150000 plus when they take someone through their COVID death care protocol where they pump them up with a bunch of toxic drugs until eventually it kills them. Of course, the rest, the, the ones that don't work for the hospital... Uh, they're being attacked by their state medical licensing boards, right? And that's the CDC is driving those as well, telling, calling, labeling them misinformation pushers and and all, all of this nonsense that we've seen. And they are the CDC is being controlled by Fauci, and Fauci is being controlled by the deep state and China. I mean, they developed all of these components for this bioweapon over the last couple decades. They found a way to hide their fingerprints that they would leave behind when they genetically engineered this bioweapon and then shipped it off to China for production. And she thinks that, you know, the doctor is the only person that she should be listening to for advice without realizing that that system has not only been compromised, but weaponized against the American people for this depopulation event. Because that's what we're in the middle of. And uh, she said, well, my husband is in. Now, this is, uh, she's talking about her mom, I think, who has a caregiver that comes and sits with her and, and so forth. And she was at the hospital sitting with uh, her mom, I believe it was. A different hospital right now getting cancer treatment, but he's getting out today. So I'm just going to pop over there. I'm going to pick him up, and then he's going to drive me back to this hospital so I can sit with your mom until you get there. I mean, what a good person, right? Like, that's humanity. Like, that's the true essence of humanity. Not all, like, the terrible people we talk about all the time on the show and in the news and who you encounter when you have road rage or they have it, you know? Like, that's that's what it is to be truly, like, a human being. So the mom's caregiver, her husband has cancer. Do I need to even say it? Our project manager that was down in Florida, she was just diagnosed with terminal cancer. I didn't even ask. But you guys know what's likely happened. Okay. So, you know, I think it's a matter of time before the dam really breaks here. I mean, I think it has broken. I think the floodwaters are coming in. And I don't think that these people can live in denial of reality for very much longer because it is starting to come out. There was a great clip posted to the Telegram channel of uh, the the guys in the EU parliament asking some really tough questions of, of the Pfizer CEO. Uh, he refused to show up to their hearing. And, you know, th- things are turning against them. 
And of course, what did they do uh, two weeks ago? They pushed and drove the uh, COVID-19 shots to the childhood vaccination schedule, just like we said they would. You know, it was Robert Kennedy that broke that news about the reason they wanted they want to get on the childhood vaccine schedule is because it gives them immunity for all of these shots and it protects them or they think it will anyway. I don't think there's anything protecting these people from what's coming. Um, and, and, you know, we've, we've said that's exactly where they're going. That's what they're driving towards. And they passed it unanimously. Like these, these kids face no risk. It's all it, no risk from COVID. It's all risk from these shots. And it's what we see is off the charts bad. There is no way that these people can be this incompetent without, without being bought off or bribed or whatever. Just waiting for that, that seven-figure salary in the corner office where they do some consulting for the big pharma companies. Because that's how corrupt this entire system has become. And that's where I want to go next. This is a quote from Franklin, or sorry, Jefferson here. And let me blow it up here. He says, uh, I believe the banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, you know, like uh, the Federal Reserve, which is not federal and doesn't really keep anything in reserve. It's a private consortium of, of commercial bankers running it. First by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around the banks, you know, like <laughs> uh, social media companies and big tech, Silicon Valley, will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. You know, like BlackRock and these these other companies getting basically free money from the government and then using it to buy houses and turning us all into a nation of renters. Remember the article, you will own nothing and you will be happy? It was promptly taken down and, oh, yeah, that was a little too truthy right off the right out of the gate here. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. And that was from Thomas Jefferson. And of course, if you think in terms of crypto, isn't that exactly what it is? You know, like these guys couldn't have imagined something like that back then. And they, I guess, are thinking, well, the, the government needs to needs to control that, not the private bankers. Well, no, the government really can't be trusted with it either because they're the ones who were bribed to hand it off to the private bankers. And that's what happened. And they did it all surreptitiously on Christmas Day over some legal bullshit maneuver that, oh, well, they didn't close the Senate. So the three guys that were there went ahead and passed that act through after $500,000 and money at the time, which is, you know, tens of millions of dollars was spent on lobbying to push this through and allow this banker cabal to take over and start running the country. And that's really the situation 
that we're in. And I kind of, I almost feel like I'm not interested in taking a bunch of victory laps for COVID-19 or, or whatever. Um, let me see here. Oh, you know what? I think I skipped. I did skip something. Whoops. <laughs> for COVID-19, you know, one of the things, and let's actually go to that right now. One of the things that I pointed out, this was a year and a half ago, um, right here, was this is unvaccinated single women say no to vaccinated single men. This is Laura J. Wellington from The American Thinker. And if you remember, it was a year and a half ago, the whole finger painting story around that time, uh, I got off of all the dating apps. And I think it was May of 2021 around that time and and the reason was because well we've got these gene transfection therapies we have no idea what they're going to do to humanity uh no idea if they're sexually transmitted if people's immune systems are being suppressed well guess what uh that means we're going to see these viral outbreaks and that means a lot of stds going around and the risk factors go up so may not be the best time to engage in any kind of promiscuous behavior. And what else did I say? I said, uh, right now, if you ask people, are you vaccinated? They're going to tell you, oh, yes, I'm double vaccinated and boosted because they are very proud of that fact and very happy that they did it. And I said, but there will come a time when that will no longer be the case and they will start lying to you. And well, that's what's happening right here. This, to me, represents the beginning of sort of that shift into the vaccinated realizing, oh shit, and they're going to stop telling the truth about their vaccination status, and this is why. The decision as to whether or not they will date vaccinated men is now on the table, and I can tell you firsthand, which has nothing to do with the viability of the candidates themselves, but rather sex, to put it bluntly. The overriding concern that comes that the harmful effects of this vaccine, gene transfection therapy, may ultimately enter these women once the raincoat comes off, which is talking about condoms. But I mean, this thing, the spike crosses the blood brain barrier. You know, I think it was Jessica Rose did an interview where she was talking, somebody asked her about this issue. And it was, this was just recently. And she had some of the same things to say about it as I did. We don't know. We don't know how much spike is getting transferred. We don't know if it's mRNA that's getting transferred and, and now your cells are getting transfected. We don't know what other things might be being passed or, you know, what kind of damage or harm or long-term impacts this could have on fertility and so forth. These are all questions that need to be studied. And really, we just have no idea, right? So, uh, you know, thinking that like, in my mind anyway, that a condom is going to somehow stop that. I mean, it might have a protective effect, but if you think you're not going to get any exposure because of a condom, I think that's pretty ridiculous given what we know about the, um, uh, just about the spike and, and so forth and the lipid nanoparticles and complexes and so forth. Okay. 
as these women choose to remain unvaccinated for a reason, mitigating any risk by eliminating candidates based on vaccine status has become their new norm. Plenty of single men don't shine to the notion that they aren't being considered simply because they decided to get vaccinated. Among the most disgruntled, hostile men tend to be those who succumb to the vaccine by force, not force coercion. Feeling penalized twice over for a vaccine they never wanted to get to begin with, many of these men don't handle uh, these women's rejections very well. Yeah, exactly. And of course, those are the ones who uh, you know, have the most, they, they beat themselves up endlessly when they get vaccine injured. If somebody coerced them into taking this and they didn't want it and now they're sitting there injured, they just feel like, oh, why did I do this? You know, and that's what these guys are, are experiencing now. And how many times are they going to get rejected before they just start lying about it? Because before when you asked, it was people, you know, the right answer was, oh, yes, I'm vaccinated because people wanted to know, are you protecting me? Are you going to keep me safe? Whereas now we know the opposite's true and they're not going to be so inclined as to tell the truth. And I think that's kind of what this represents. This is breaking through and reaching the mainstream in what I'm seeing in this article because this lady, I guess, reached out to a bunch of women who were dating and talked to them. Women see it as an act of self-preservation and safety in the face of reality, given the nature of large proportion of men presently. Uh, the decision not to date vaccinated men remains steadfast in numerous unvaccinated women. Speaking to the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines does little to remove the fear associated with that uh, with what they are observing all around them. Quote, nobody knows who to trust anymore. Unvaccinated parents agree and are cautioning their teenage and adult children to adopt the same form of thinking when it comes to dating. Very smart. This is very encouraging to hear this because this means people understand that it's dangerous. They've made up their minds and they're trying to minimize exposure. Right. Single unvaccinated men are also following suit and running into the same issues as their single unvaccinated female counterparts calling themselves pure bloods. They too are only looking for unvaccinated partners to date. Right. <clears throat> and we did look at that. We did the show on fertility where we looked at uh, what the data was showing from a couple studies and the risks to women having sex with a, un, with a vaccinated man were higher it seemed then the other way around than a man having sex with a va unvaccinated man having sex with a vaccinated woman. So, but still, you know, who knows what's really what the true risk profile is. Many unvaccinated single women are talking when contemplating future partners holds implications that span everything from lost opportunity to potentially moving to red states, boasting larger pickings to possibly to the possibility of remaining alone forever. There's also the factor of time that may soften their positions, like looks like everything's going okay. I'll go ahead and change my stance on this, which might work out, might be, you know, there's a lot of people that don't see the true picture of what's going on right now. The same holds true for blood transfusions, which they are also avoiding like the plague due to concerns over vaccinated blood being given to them. 
And that I think it was that Jessica Rose interview. This was another thing that was brought up and she made this great point that says, look, it is a concern. We don't know if it's just spike or MRNA or what's in there. Lipid nanocomplex particles or the pegylated lipid, all that stuff's toxic. And we don't know. And just like you should have the right to get blood that is free from HIV, you should have the right to get blood that is free from the spike protein or from somebody that's been vaccinated. And of course, we've talked about some of the solutions. If you're going into surgery and you need blood, you can, the Red Cross will draw your blood for you, store it at the hospital, and it can, you can use your own blood. You can also pay them to store blood and keep it for you in case of an emergency and, and you need it. So there are some options out there. None of them are great, but, uh, you know, it's something to think about. It really is because we just, the reality is we don't know what the risk is. They don't know what the risk is. And they're just pretending like it's all fine because, well, the compromised weaponized CDC has told them so. The decision to live, unfortunately, the blood supply is contaminated too, so no blood transfusions. Uh, fear over the exchange of bodily fluids, including saliva, combined with worries about the ramifications of shedding. Remember when I got banned off of Twitter for that? Uh, adds a further layer and deterrent beyond mere ejaculation. It isn't one element alone that screams stop, rather many woven together, all of which make complete sense in their particular view. So that was a really encouraging paragraph because the way I sum that up is exposure to spike is exposure to spike. You want to minimize that exposure. And that's really what this paragraph is saying here. It's not just the sex. It's being around the person. It's the viral shedding that's happening. How much exposure is safe? It's, and the, the best answer to that is as little as possible. And, and, you know, you can, there are strategies, things you can do, natokinese. There's studies that show it breaks down the spike in 60 to 90 minutes. So if you're vaccinated, you should be taking that. You should be taking that probably multiple times a day because your body's continually producing it. And we don't even know for how long. Um, but it shows that they are sort of coming around to this paradigm, to, to reality, that the people who have had this shot pose a danger to the rest of us because of how their immune system has just been hijacked and, and the viral load that they're carrying and the mutations that they're driving and everything else. So who would have ever, she wraps up here, who would have ever thought that vaccine status would become so central to cultivating new friendships and love relationships for much of our nations. The divide is here to stay because the damage that, caused it has has already been done nothing can put that genie back in the bottle well who would have thought of it me <laughs> year and a half ago when we talked about it so uh yeah again on the one hand the men are going to start and women are going to start lying about their vaccination status because they know the reason you're asking now is you don't want somebody that's vaccinated. Whereas before the people asking were asking because they did. So it's even more perilous. Uh, you know, I would suggest like creeping social media pages to, to search and see, did they post about vaccine getting vaccinated and so forth. 
for a potential partner because I, I don't know that I would trust them. I don't. Okay. Uh, let's see. All right. So we took, I, I skipped that. I, ha- I wanted to jump to it. And I think we were back over here with Thomas Jefferson talking about how the banks are really kind of, uh, and the corporations that are growing up around this banking industry and why, because they have access to the free money and the, the early money when it's first freshly printed new money. Uh, that gives them an advantage that you and I don't have because we get it after it's filtered down through the economy and the inflation has been created by the purchase with those new dollars. Um, so there's these bad catitude, uh, Elgato Mallow, the bad cat stories, and we're actually going to read three of them tonight that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, it, and, you know, we probably would have covered these individually, but I've been gone for three weeks and he's written these and I absolutely love what he's, <clears throat> what he's got to say here. Um, bear with me for one second. Let me find my place here. Yeah. And, and I really think, you know, this is going to become kind of a central issue, a, a focus of the show of kind of where I want to take things because the next leg down is not, doesn't really have much to do with COVID. I mean, like that's baked in the cake. We've got a bunch of people that are going to die from it. It's the impact that that's going to have on the economy. And along with everything else that's happening to the economy that I think is going to take center stage. I mean, right now we've got gas prices in the U S that are back around $3 and Oh, everything's fine. Well, yeah. Because Biden's emptying out the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, we've got less than a month's supply for our our trucking operations. And he's done that to buy votes in the upcoming election. Guess what happens after the election, folks? (laughs) We continue right on up that curve. And instead of $3 a gallon, we're paying six, seven in three to six months, very possible, very possible. And diesel, $10 a gallon, and that'll be the new normal because they won't be able to manipulate the system anymore. And the bad cat is here pointing out that we should have one strategy. And in a sense, I I do agree with this. I want to read this story that he's got in here. The wife of one of my closest friends had a business making baby clothes. She was a graphic designer and was doing fairly well creating fun images to put on all cotton onesies made by manufacturers and selling them. There was a rapidly booming business segment of others like her. It turns out parents like unique, local, interesting baby gear. Now, who did not like this gear were the big companies in the space. It took customers. It took revenue. And there was no way they could compete because their cycle times for small batch production were seasons versus weeks, right? Like a graphic designer, you can bring these things up and knock them out and uh, publish them in a very, in a few days. Whereas they're going to take months, so they can't compete. These little companies could have 10 new products in the time it took Gap Kids to release one. So the industry collaborated with the regulators and decided new safety rules, in air quotes, were needed. 
Suddenly, you just could not trust a cotton onesie that tens of thousands of kids had worn or the silkscreen paints used for a generation. Every single SKU had to be individually tested for safety because, hey, you never know, maybe the exact same footy pajamas with the exact same pants is now deadly dangerous because the picture on it is a sailboat and not a bunny. This destroyed an entire cottage industry at a stroke. The cost to test was on the order of $25,000 per SKU per individual item that you wanted to print. No big deal for the gap. Far in excess of SKU revenue for all the small players who in aggregate were cutting into the profits, but who alone could never afford this. It was custom crafted to look like safety while actually being a precise tactical strike against innovation and competition. There was never a safety issue, only a set of vested interests in oligopoly and anti-consumer behavior. And this is, I've talked to you guys about regulations, the big players, the established players, they love it because they already have a compliance department and they throw a few million extra that way. And now all of a sudden you've got all these competitors who are wiped out because they don't have the scale to jump through those hoops. And so what does it do? It raises the bar for new entrants and it knocks the bottom rungs out of the ladder. And the established players like it. And that's why the more regulated you get, the fewer and fewer choices you have in the marketplace. Look at the airlines. Look at the the cellular carriers. We're down to basically three in the U.S., And then a bunch of resellers that are using the three primary networks. This is not by mistake. It's by design. Okay. They are coming fast now on every board. It's become so vast and so blatant that it cannot be hidden. So you might as well bum rush. Things got so desperate in the last couple of years that the system and the nets and leashes became starkly visible. Actors had to step out of the shadows and show themselves. And he's, he or she is talking about, you know, what they've had to do to push this agenda forward. Think of all the people going out to Ukraine to show support for the war. Think about all the people that they deployed to push these vaccines, all the things that came out around that. And of course, he's got the Frederick Frederick, uh, Basiat quote here. When plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men in a society, Over the course of time, they create for themselves a legal system that authorizes it and a moral code that glorifies it. Of course, where have we seen that before? Well, uh, right here. For the last four or five months, I've had that up there because it's exactly the phase that we're in right now. And that's why. So he's pointing out Gensler at the SEC. He's wanting to raise these uh, environmental... Uh, rules, environmental reporting to the standards of other financial reporting. So this is BlackRock pushing this ESG nonsense. And again, just like with the onesie example up there, the big companies, they'll be able to jump through these hoops. The little ones, sorry, you're out of business. Same effect that the pandemic had. Like Sarbanes-Oxley before it, this will preference the big and strangle the small. An extra few million a year in public company compliance costs is functionally zero for Google, but it's going to take a significant number of small companies down, just like Sandbox and a pile of other acts did. 
It will also provide endless consulting jobs to uh, phalanxes of ideologues and cronies to teach you how tech you how to comply, right? And like, I put this in blue because this is what I used to do in the phone company. Like my job existed because of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. And I was one of those well-paid experts that comes in and does consulting and helps you use, helped AT&T and the big companies use uh, the system to fight back against the speedboats, the, the competitive, the Celex, the small carriers that would come in and game the system and find just the right balance of internet traffic versus voice traffic by signing up ISPs and then giving away uh, free service to call centers to get just that right balance where they get paid the maximum revenue from the big companies and they just milk it for all it's worth. And they could adapt to rule changes faster than the big telecos could. And then a lot of them were engaging in fraud and so forth to further uh, make, you know, pull, extract more wealth, I guess, make more money. And that's where I would come in and catch them as well. The number of public companies has dropped by about 60% since the late 90s. And this is probably a significant understatement of the real drop as the count's been propped up uh, you know, by a die, now dying SPAC boom. The SEC wants the next coal. Think about what they're doing with crypto. Crypto is the people's money that Jefferson was talking about. It makes all of them irrelevant and they want to classify it all as a security and make you jump through all the hoops and you're not allowed to own this and use this. And here's our 20 step process for, uh, you know, doing the taxes on that $2 cup of coffee that you just bought. Once this information is mandated and collected, it's a small step to setting policy based on it, delisting companies whose scores fail to please, taxing them and subsidizing the good ones and the and 20 other forms of fascism and top-down corporate control under the auspices of green or justice. Oh, you lend an oil company uh, or bank a gun manufacturer? Sorry, you cannot use the Fed funds window. Please bring yourself into compliance. And isn't this exactly what they want to do with CBDCs? Oh, you donated to WikiLeaks and supported the truckers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, we're not, uh, your, your transactions have been temporarily put on hold until you can uh, come down and, and uh, have a little discussion with us about your anti-government views. Make no mistake, this is the foundation of a social credit system for companies, and it will, left unchecked, grow to infect everything. If you want to see what the late stage metastases of this trend look like, look no further than China. They've built thousands of these COVID quarantine camps and have mandated digital health passports that can be turned red at will for suspected exposure. You are one button push from the gulag all the time. And I've seen videos where uh, there's a, a positive test in the mall or something and all these people are fleeing like running for their lives away from the mall before their phone turns red. You don't get tested, phone turns red. You can't get in your apartment anymore. You can't eat. You can't buy or sell. 
It's all pretext. China is bracing for mass civil strife as their economic miracle gets revealed for the debt-fueled, profitless Pokemon village that it has mostly been. <laughs> they have already started using COVID to quell riots. Remember those bank runs? We covered those on the show. You had the guys in the white that were coming in, beating the protesters. They stopped them and sent everyone home by flipping the mandated health passports on their phones red. Disobey and you're arrested and sent to Corona camp where you can get re-educated, right? Like that's the dystopian world that they want. And this is uh, avoiding a climate lockdown. This is strategy from one of these uh, professor in economics and innovation in London. Under a climate lockdown, governments would limit private vehicle use, ban consumption of red meat, and impose extreme energy-saving measures while fossil fuel companies would have to stop drilling. To avoid such a scenario, we must overhaul our economic structures and do capitalism differently. <laughs> it's not a theory. This is a real-life conspiracy evolving endlessly as emergent property and built to last indefinitely and to place ever more control of your life and livelihood outside the purview of anything you can touch or perhaps even see. And that is why you must become a one issue voter. Now, this is where I diverge from the bad cat here a little bit. I, I don't vote. I'm an anarchist. I want to do away with this entire system. He wants to participate in it. Look, you want to reduce the size of government. I want to reduce it to zero. But I'll go along with whatever parts you want to reduce and support you in that, right? This, the only issue that matters is ending the bureaucracy, taking away its power, and making the deep state shallow again. Make the deep state shallow again. That needs to be a shirt, I think. This is it. That's it. It's that simple. Anything else is just painting over rust or putting a smiley face on a slavering hyena. What does the Department of Education even do? And he's going to go through some of these departments, but he's right. I've, I've, this is what I've been saying. There is no justification for the CDC to exist after what we've learned about the childhood vaccinations and the, the injuries and the autoimmune disorders that arise from the vaccinated. We've got the V-safe data that Aaron Siri has finally gotten out of them, and the story was just infuriating to listen to. I mean, he totally caught them in a lie. And rather than acknowledge that they were wrong, they still kept fighting and spending our money, our wealth, squandering our wealth to fight this losing battle that they knew was a lie. And, and he even brought it up to him, said, look, guys, if that's the position you want to take, well, we're just going to ask for it. And then, you know, we're going to get it. So why would you make us go through all that? Why not just give it to us? And admit that you, no, they can't do that. Because they have no incentive to. Because there's no consequences for them if they lie and, and mislead. Their system protects them for that. So he's asking, what does the Department of Education even do? Prevent innovation, stir up anger issues, pretty much. The UN, the WHO, NATO, what are they doing? Why are we buying, why are we paying for that shit? Demand for money and protection from folks who then turn around and demand even more and want to impose rules on us. 
<laughs> the EPA is just the CDC, but worse. The SEC is a division of BlackRock, who's you know buying up all the homes and turning us into a nation of renters. And a slush fund for the connected parts of finance. We've seen that from Ripple and what they did with the Ethereum Foundation. And I mean, it's just so corrupt beyond belief. The NIH is beyond help. Is the FBI even a net benefit or just a Praetorian guard for the corrupt political plutocrats ready to bury you for opposition to the regime, but blind to burning, looting, and corruption at the highest levels? And, you know, this is what, uh, oh gosh, um, John McAfee talked about the Praetorian Guard when I had him on the show a long time ago is that's what it is. That's what they've turned into, this Praetorian Guard that they can sick on their enemies. Election integrity has become a punchline. Everybody knows it's bullshit. Trying to change it is always futile. Uh, this much power in these sorts of hands will always go awry. The rotten, putrid outcomes to, the, to favor the few are inevitable. It does not take a plot, but the confluence of emergent interests will always make it one. So end it. We do not need it. Fund kids, not schools, and allow free choice. Sell the Department of Education offices for condos. Replace the CDC and the NIH with an open source collaborative reporting and open adversarial analysis. End all government funding of science and technological subsidy. Yep, 100%. They can't be trusted because they've used it and weaponize it against us. They've used it to create bioweapons and unleash them on us. And now in the United States, 400,000 people are dead as a result. Make FDA approval voluntary like ISO and allow comp competing forms of certification to emerge. Yeah, just get rid of the monopoly on violence. It is the monopoly thou must use us or else that is the problem here. Eliminate the credential culture that limits everything from law and medicine to hair braiding and bar ownership, all these licensing bullshit. The free market can figure out licensing. And you know, when we talked about homelessness, same thing. Why can't the free market have different standards of housing safety? If you're poor and you can't afford all of the latest and greatest safety features like the breakers that go in the breaker box that cost $100 each and you need 50 of them <laughs> for the average house because, oh yeah, all the kitchen appliances have to be on their own circuit. If you can't afford that, maybe you can go with the ones that are half a per percentage less safe and cost $20. But no, the government takes away those choices, but the market would create them okay declare the sec a weapon of mass destruction and probably the fed with it yeah let the old media die yeah just stop funding them stop giving them free government money they do it because they're propagandists because they're controlled because they limit allowable thought all these things are doable but they need the a plurality of politicians to make them happen no they need a enraged public to force the politicians to do it and so many are bought and paid for that we're going to need massive turnover and strong strident alignment in this issue yeah and, and what happens when you want to reduce their pay reduce their lifetime health care their lifetime hundred and seventy sixty thousand dollar salary they're going to go along with that i don't think so see that's the 
that's the problem with these some of these strategies is it the, the whole thing just has to collapse and i think really like my focus is on more creating alternatives that make these systems obsolete that's really where we have to go of course they're doing everything they can to stop that but at the same time their system is falling apart right 2024 will be the time. This is when you could get a president and a Congress all in concert on this issue. So make it the issue because it is the only issue. It is the keystone and freeing move for most everything else that leads to human humans flourishing. And I completely agree with that. Government monopolies and, and they're, they're taking over, reaching their tentacles out into all these areas of our lives, of our society is holding humankind, mankind back in ways that we can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. We could have a much more just and prosperous society without these psychopaths in charge. We only need to win for a minute to just kill it, defund it, start on a day one of a presidential administration, and by the end you'll have the weeds ripped out so thoroughly that they will not grow back, or you can suffer slow death by dandelion. Now, I don't, I, you know, this was an experiment in small and limited government. And well, let's face it, it failed. The weeds will grow back as long as you have that monopoly on violence over others. And there's an argument to be made by, you know, well-educated people like, like Elgato Mallow that, well, the freer you make the society in the beginning, the more Orwellian and dystopian it will become because it will be so much more successful. And then the corruption seeps in because there's all this money and, and chance to, you know, tilt the table in your favor as we're going to get into with his next article, that it will become more well, more powerful and Orwellian over time. Stop getting distracted by the food fights of Team Donkey and Team Elephant and start demanding this and only this. Quote, what will you do to reduce the federal bureaucracy and free us from its yoke? What are you going to eliminate? And this was, you know, back when like Ron Paul was running for office. This was one of the questions like he wanted to in the Department of Education and replace it with nothing was his famous quote. And, and he wanted to do that for a lot of, of uh, these things here. Okay, hold on. I need to find. Did I even read the right one? No, I don't think I did. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm out of practice here, as you guys can tell. It's been a while. Um, was, uh, yeah, I just had those out of order. All right. Let's move on then with this. So this is from The Simpsons. America, take a good look at your beloved candidates. They're nothing but hideous space reptiles. Oh. <laughs> It's true. We are aliens. But what are you going to do about it? It's a two-party system. You have to vote for one of us. Yes. Right. This is a two-party system. I mean, we're only given two choices. What else are we going to do? What else, what else are we going to do? Of course, here's your choice. 
Did you want, uh, you know, the hunchback of Notre Dame or, or the wizard of Oz who doesn't realize that the curtain's been open for like the last three acts <laughs> and everybody sees his tricks, which one, because this is the kind of false paradigm that politics is presenting to you. It's the lesser of two evils, right? At the end of the day, this is a shit sandwich and no matter which way you cut it, voting for the lesser of two evils is choosing evil and you're eating shit because this system is designed to keep out any kind of real threat, any kind of real change. The system just wants to perpetuate its wealth extraction of using government to reward their friends and punish their enemies. That's while extracting our wealth and leaving us poorer and poorer. That's what government does. And it ends when the money's no longer worth anything because they've printed it into oblivion. Right. And I played that clip earlier with the alien, uh, with the Simpsons and the, they're both aliens and whatnot. And well, on my way back from Florida, I did this mysterious universe podcast binge where I listened. They're like, I think two hour shows and I probably went through five of them on the way, on the way back. And I think I listened to one maybe on the way down. And, uh, the thing I like about that podcast, and if you remember, I found them when they did one of my shows, they took one of my shows and kind of summarized it on theirs about Gert Vandenbosch and his theory of, what these uh, injections are doing to the immune system and what we might expect to see. And it, you know, it seems to be happening because I read a Substack article that showed some of the latest data and it's basically confirming ADE and the original antigenic send that we've talked about where the first spike you're exposed to is what your body kind of gets trained to respond with. And the new vaccines when they're, even though they're bivalent and they have the two spikes in there, they're still only responding to the original one because of that imprinting and because all of those additional booster shots just further train the immune system to have this really narrow response. That was one of the things that Gert talked about. And now what they're seeing is a response to the bivalent that's no different than the last booster that they had. And it becomes less effective with each additional shot. So these people are fucked basically. And we'll probably get some strain that's going to kill off a lot of them this winter, kind of as I, as I expected or guessed would happen. So anyway, I'm listening to this mysterious universe and they cover a lot of stories from individuals, individual accounts from all over the world across time, you know, going way back in history to more modern day recounts and stuff there was this french guy who supposedly went and lived with aliens in the himalayas they taught him these yoga poses that were not yoga poses but helped with his health and they took him to go meet with some other aliens in one of their ufos and encountered a jet well they went back and checked and the french air force did encounter a ufo and there was a report about it about the time that he says all this happened so his story like checked out time and time again um, and one of the things that I noticed from listening to all these different episodes is there would be 
characteristics because these guys have done this it says 27 seasons i don't know if that's years or four seasons in the year two seasons whatever but they've been doing it a long time and they've covered hundreds and hundreds of these stories and they're translating them from other languages so they're finding stuff that's really obscure and they've there they would be covering a story and they would hear a firsthand account of a certain type of encounter with a certain type of being or something and like they would say oh yeah that sounds like this and there would be these individual characteristics things that happened that were unique to like that type of encounter and they would be the same whether they happened 10 years ago or 150 years ago or 75 years ago in different parts of the world and so to me that speaks to there is something larger going on and it does it gets into shape-shifting aliens and they're talking about this one that uh there was one that I listened to and they were that changed shape in two minutes uh, and then changed, but changed into like a reptilian. And I'm thinking, I remember this other guy talking about, he was a attendee at the, Oh, the Bohemian Grove and saw this guy that was seven feet tall and like a white uh, reptilian apparently. And it was one of the Rothschilds or something. And this was in one of the cabins there and uh then he changed back and and that was it and he never saw it again but i I, i'm kind of like after listening to all this and seeing how much specificity they've uh they understand these topics with and seeing some of the correlations and so forth i'm looking at it going wow you know maybe they they live is realer than any of us most of us imagined maybe we do have some kind of et presence uh, controlling and manipulating our society seems entirely likely and the symptoms were there to warn us about it right well i believe i'll vote for a third party candidate go ahead throw your vote away <laughs> <laughs> there's perot punches i don't understand why we have to build a ray gun to aim at a planet i never even heard of don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Go! Of course. Don't blame me. So, you know, oh, vote for a third third party. Throw away your vote, right? And, of course, campaign finance reform. If you thought that that was truth in advertising, no. That law doesn't exist for government. What that really should be named, if it actually described what it does, it would be called keep out third parties reform because that's what it does. Just like that whole uh t- safety testing for the onesies that were kicking gaps ass and taking away their market share they do the same thing with political parties and these organizations they kick out the bottom rungs of the ladder they raise the bar for new entrants to come in and they manipulate the system to keep them out i mean you remember the look at what they do with the debates and they constantly the the mainstream media the prostitutes who are getting paid on the government dole with all of this you know official government advertising that just pays really really well for some reason you know they were changing the requirements to always just oh i'm sorry you just don't have enough uh polling percentage from the polls that we look at the pollsters that we use to make it into our debate we're sorry 
Dr. Paul or whoever it was. And, and the whole thing was, I remember Dr. Paul, they, they asked all the other four guys on stage a question, a medical question about healthcare, except for him, the only doctor on the stage. And it was just so absurd watching this circus. And of course, once they got him out, he still had delegates that went to the Republican convention in Texas. And uh, guess what? They turned off their microphone, wouldn't let him speak. F you, this is our party, not yours. How dare you try and come in and change it? Like that's the mentality because it is not a system to serve you and I, the people. It is a system to serve them and they use it to reward their friends and punish their enemies. And it comes at the expense of our wealth, of our children's future. So we have to, there is no reforming the system. It just needs to be gutted. And if, and if you don't want to kill it, that's fine. Let's gut it first. And then we'll talk about where we go from there. Like I, that's, that's why I'll support you all the way there. And I want to keep going, but some of you want to keep this skeleton government and pretend like it's not going to grow out of control again, even though that's exactly what it's done because it was supposed to be, you know, fire this dangerous master and fearful servant this limited experiment and small limited government that created the largest government in the world. Because when you have that monopoly on violence, what's going to stop you? What's going to stop you? It's certainly not stopping Nancy Pelosi or I'm sorry, this, this stock trader outfit. It comes with the ability to pass laws to benefit your stocks, possible insider information, hundred mil. $80 million net worth, not included. (laughs) Of course, her salary is 180,000 a year. How is it she's made $180 million? That's a very good question. Interesting things going on with her husband, Paul, as well as he was attacked in his home recently by this guy. There's a costume here from, uh, Uh, from spirit halloween these are memes that were all over home invader includes two hammers underwear gay pride weed flag berkeley uh stands united against hate sign and anal lube (laughs) so if you don't know paul pelosi nancy's husband uh apparently the store the official story is this crazy person that he doesn't know except he told the 911 operator that his name is uh, David or John, I think, and he's a friend, but he doesn't know him, uh, broke into the house, broke some windows with hammers. There were two, he had two hammers. Apparently, they both had hammers, both in their underwear at 2 a.m. Uh, they were definitely not having gay sex and doing drugs, <laughs> and something went wrong. That's that's definitely not what was happening. By the way, uh, is Paul home? This guy's looking for him. <laughs> and you got to think, like, what happened in the car? Remember Paul Pelosi when he, he got into the accident with no other cars, just drove off the road, and there was the unnamed occupant in the car? Was that this guy right here? Was Paul maybe getting a blowjob on the way home from a gay male prostitute? And he drove off the road, wrecked the car, and then convinced the police not to report on who the other man was because it would have come out. Could that be it? Could he be wondering where the hell is my 50 grand that you promised me or the 100 grand that you promised me? 
Of course, he's friends with, um, I can't remember if it was Beck or this, other, not Beck. Um, anyway, this other guy who is in prison because he would bring African-Americans over to his home and he would drug them up and overdose them. <laughs> then they kept turning up dead in his house. This guy is friends with him. That's great. Uh, you know, just uh, it's amazing the connections here. The politics of failure have failed. We need to make them work again. They never worked, folks. They never, ever worked. And they never will. Because when you give someone a monopoly on violence, they don't have to work. They can just threaten you and take whatever they want. That's how this goes. Okay. So... Let's go to, I think we read one issue voter and that was out of order. So now we're going to read the other one out of order as well here. And it's called clowns to the left of me. It's tempting to look at this level of concept salad imbecility and perhaps to gop at in wonder at the absolute staggering bottomless of the sinkhole known as clown world. And he's talking about, you know, Biden being the senile man, doesn't even know what it, what day it is, is shit in his pants. Truly, these people would lose to a chicken at checkers, but what if this is a feature and not a bug? And that's something that I've kind of played around with and, and th- brainstormed about on the show. It's like maybe Biden is was put in there because they want people to think that it's incompetence, that he's just se- this senile old man, doesn't know what's going on when reality is. They're doing this and using him as a scapegoat. And of course, we've got this idiot your leadership mayor thank you for the warm welcome uh-huh so here's the thing who doesn't love a yellow school bus i don't right can you raise your hand if you oh, love I guess a I yellow put school my bus, hand down right? just there's something about the and and most of us many of us went to school on the yellow school nope, bus I didn't, right no and it's part of it's part of our our experience growing up it's part of a, you know a nostalgia and a memory of this is how Kamala connects with the voters, right? Give them something they can relate with. I mean, they are just such a bunch of crony criminal scum at this point. And it's just so obvious they're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Why? Well, Battle Beagle says, uh, having a clown government is one of the ways America antagonizes the world, I believe. It's a gaslighting maneuver. America, America will menace you with some kind of horrific aerial assault and send Hillary Clinton or some other bizarre clown to negotiate normal groups of people don't have any idea how to respond to such things. So anything they do will be wrong within the parameters of the rigged psychological game. It's like Caligula making you salute his horse who's been made a general, and if you don't, he'll torture you to death or invade your territory. How many fingers am I holding up? And the answer is, how many do you want me to say you're holding up? Not how many you're holding up. It's, you're going to say that red is blue or we have a cage waiting for you. That's government. Because being made to submit to the absurd is always the most effective form of brainwashing and indoctrination. The more absurd, the more you must post facto rationalize it. 
It shuts off rationality, judgment, discernment, and replaces it with stavish, slavish devotion. So if these people are fools, meaning these politicians running the Biden regime, uh, promoted to general in order to cow you, by whom and to whose advantage was this done? Who could they serve? The answer is obvious. They serve the immoral deep state and its intra and international lackeys. And he's got the Klaus Schwab picture here. If you were such an organization and you wanted a puppet leader who will do as you're as told because they are totally malleable and would never roll over on you because they cannot even remember who told them to do what, wouldn't you be out stumping for Fetterman, right? The guy who can barely speak. He's obviously vaccine injured. He's probably going to be dead in the next year or two. And like they're, they've got their heavy Democrat donor doctor saying, no, no, he's fit for duty. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, he can't even talk up on the debate stage. Is it really an accident that people of severe mental impairment keep being put up for office and protected through the process through what can only be described as media and political collusion. No, it's not. And I like I, the only slight difference I'd have with the bad cat here is that he thinks it's so they can't be witnesses against them. Whereas I think they're using them because a, they need people who will play along who are compromised and corrupted at a, at a level that's pretty high that, you know, if, you do this or we destroy you kind of thing. So they know they're going to, they're going to obey, <coughs> but also <coughs> because I apologize for that, because they want the public to think, well, it's just incompetence when reality is, is the agenda being deployed against us all. Uh, the whole setup is ideal you can wind up with a POTUS who flat out does not even remember that, quote, he's the big guy and ought to be getting 15%, much less how to squeal on anyone if caught. They are the perfect patsies. And as you watch Kareen just flat out, and this is the White House press secretary, just flat out freeze, then flee here. You really have to ask, was she chosen because people have no idea how totally unqualified she is for the role or because people know exactly how unqualified she was. And the whole point was to have a spokesperson who cannot divulge secrets because she doesn't know them or would, would have no idea what they meant, even if they were handed to her. She is the perfect air gap in the comms network, a human skiff that presents access to the real data. Now here's this clip. It's kind of funny. Thank you, Kareem. So you're asking oil companies to further lower gas prices. What makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Well, they produce fossil fuels, and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. Thanks, everybody. Okay, now the clip was doctored. Uh, it was uh, she did answer it somehow, but I mean the reason it's worth noting here, and I don't know if he knew this or not, but doesn't matter because I've pointed out the all these hearings they are just absolute nonsense because Peter will sit there and ask her a great question, and all she does flip to her page in the binder on oil, and then she spouts the oil talking points. 
or the energy policy talking points from the Biden regime and then pretends like she answered the question when the questions aren't getting answered, the issues aren't getting addressed, and they don't have to because we're so far down this right here where they're just creating this system that just allows all of this corruption and turns a blind eye to it because the whole system is so compromised and corrupted that, well, they can get away with that. And so that has, uh, and, and has that not been basically the whole playbook of late? Put people so far over their heads into positions after position that the system fragments and becomes not only non-functional, but non-interrogatable. I mean, you can't even get answers out of them. And I think, yeah, it has. You get on with being the Illuminati 2.0, and everyone else is left talking about the vapid clown world, all stars, while the rest of the circus goes on out of sight. And this is why I don't focus so much on politics, right? Because it is a fucking distraction clown show, right? And what's really happening is the agenda behind it that's being pushed while people don't notice or hopefully don't notice. And that's where we need to shine more light on there so people understand where this is going. The populace can be gulled into thinking they're making progress, shoving back the tide. And, you know, it's talking about MAGA. Like they, they, they're going to they're gonna get in there and change things and get the red team in charge and it's going to be different. When they're not acknowledging the red team, the blue team, they're two wings of the same big government party because both of them grow the government. They just have different ways that they spend your money, your wealth, Destroy your children's future in order to do it. Shoving back the tide when in fact they are not even seeing the board where the actual game is being played. And here's Assange talking about, you know, the, the, the military industrial complex. They don't want wars that are won. They want war, endless wars that go on forever. They want an enemy that can never be defeated. It's a terrorist's. They just can never get rid of them. So they don't want a successful war. They want endless wars. They guarantee revenue, just like the pharmaceutical cartels want endless vaccines and endless control over your life via these health passports so that they can ring the cash register whenever they need a boost to their bottom line at at the expense of your health, of your ability to have children, of your ability to continue breathing, That's what they think of you. This is not going to change so long as a deep state, this powerful remains. Call it what you like, bureaucracy, technocracy, transnational government, but it's all deep state. And I like the term despite despite its fall from favor precisely because of how aggressively the deep state has tried to gaslight its own existence out of popular consciousness and label anyone who would speak the name out loud as loons and tinfoil poisoned conspiracy theorists and I agree. And so he talks about uh, it's time to get one issue on this. And that's where that other article that we read earlier came from. Focus on the the message to these politicians has to be, what are you going to do away with? What part of the federal government are we going to cut off and eliminate and replace with nothing? And like, this is what Trump tried to do with the legislation. You know, if you're going to, put a new law in, you have to get rid of two old ones. And and like that didn't do shit. 
he had the he had the helm for four years and really didn't do anything, right? And some politician, see, this is another failing of the political system that you guys should really think about and realize. Some politician that tells you he's going to fix this problem and change it for good going forward, he is lying through his fucking teeth. Because as Lysander Spooner pointed out 150 years ago, he has no control over who comes after him. He doesn't get to dictate what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. So the deep state have been pushing their agenda for years. Trump comes in, pulls us out, ends these Paris Accord and some of these other treaties, starts shaking things up, and then he goes away. Biden comes in. What does he do? He reverses it all back. So what did Trump really fix? He didn't go and eliminate the Department of Education, did he? That wouldn't have been able to just switch back on. All he did was, you know, rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. And then Biden comes in and rearranges them back. And what really got accomplished? Fuck all, that's what. So again, the only way we're going to have success here is to eliminate the bureaucracy, gut it. And if you don't have politicians who are talking about this as the most important issue, our kids are going to grow up in a dystopian nightmare because that's where they're taking all of this. Name this thing, call it out as the shameful aberration that it is, and then remove it. We cannot beat it, tame it, or fix it once extant, it is nothing but monster. And so it must be ended. This clown world cacophony uh, is just camouflage. Until we root out the source, the rest is just whack-a-mole. No matter how many tickets you think you won, the game will never end until you disable the machine. Okay. So I agree with that. And that leads us into <laughs> his last blog post. I read all three of these and I'm like, oh, these are all so good. And it just, it paints a picture it tells some of the same things I've been telling you guys for a while, but I think does it in a slightly different way. And I, I hope it gives you some insights and some things to think about because now he's talking about, and this goes to the banker's song in the beginning, cantillioning the playing field in your favor, tilting the table. Why preferential access to money and regulatory fiat makes finance an arm of the state. There was a time when the role of economists was predominantly to play against the government and to describe and codify the manifold malfeasances of the state as it deranges and deviates commerce in self-serving fashion to the detriment of we the people. Reward your friends, punish your enemies. At last, this has hijacked that which was once a flourishing field, pushing freedom into a neo-Kensian uh, modern monetary theory debacle of intervention, influence, and intrusion backed and bought and paid for credentials of convenience or backed by bought and paid for credentials of convenience. So they have their so-called experts, which have gotten trounced over the whole COVID when it was open source to the internet and the data was released. And we had experts like the ethical skeptic and others just absolutely destroy the, the clown world bullshit projections that these morons came out with. And made them look like the fools that they are. Because, again, Elgato Malo had that article about uh, jujitsu when he compared 
these guys, ethical skeptic and others who have actually been out fighting in the real world against the credentialed, self-credentialed experts who go around patting themselves on the back at how great they are that really can't even do their basic jobs. Nearly the entire field has been bent around this gold giver gravity in the manner of medieval bards at the court of the king who won no battles but pays handsomely for songs that he did. Entire ecosystems have evolved around this to thrive and suckle at their cryocystic teats of the endless largesse of he who prints the money. It has deranged the purpose of finance altogether. Markets are one of the greatest forms of magic known to humans and the essence of that magic is price and really price discovery that's allowed to happen in a free market. Price is the one ring to rule them all. It determines production, consumption, investment, trade-offs, and time preference. It is the entirety of the ballgame. When prices are accurate, people can make good choices. But when prices do not accurately reflect reflect trade-offs, discernment is broken, and every single thing downstream from them is warped. It focuses power and prosperity in the hands of the closest to the distortions who are able to take first advantage in a system where such deviations originates from the state. It always and inevitably occurs to those most connected to the tentacles of the Leviathan. Reward your friends, punish your enemies. The big corporations, they know that the return on lobbying is 69,000%. I think it was or 72,000%, something like that. Crazy number. You invest a million dollars, you're you're getting 70 million back. More than that. <laughs> 700 million back. I mean, it's just it's just insane because they have too much power and too much control. And when they print that new money and hand it out to their buddies, they're spending it at the pre-inflationary rate, so they get more wealth out of it when they go to spend it first and by the time it filters down to us it's already inflated so we don't reap those same rewards right this is how you land in plutocracy and that's the rule by the rich the rich are manipulating the government and controlling it and that's the society you end up with which is exactly what we have markets fail as level playing fields and asset allocation engines as investors as, and instead become tools of policy to the enrichment of a fancy few whose uh, fealty is assured through dependence. And thus, at last, is where so much of Wall Street and the banking system has landed. They have for so long replied, relied up upon a canted playing field that they now struggle to stand up on a level one. This is why we must speak of the Cantillion effect. Uh, and this is exactly what I just described as the money is uh, put out, new money's printed, the people who get it first spend it at today's rates, and then as it filters down, it loses value, loses value, loses value, okay? When new, and here's the, the key insight, when new money is created, the closest to the wellspring drink first. They get peripheral preferential access to capital, lower price of money. That's exactly what's happening with these reverse repo and they're able to borrow at near 0% interest rates. And then they take and turn that money around and invest it in, I think in bonds where they know they're going to get a steady return. Well, how much do you want? Well, as much as I can get. 
because it's free money that's going to earn me a yield. And you and I, we can't do that because we're not connected to the tentacles of the Leviathan. Uh, lower price. And, and as they then flood the system, are the only ones buying it with non or the least inflated currency. So they get all this money and, oh, let's go buy up some new houses, turn them into rental properties. They cause the first wave, the prices of those assets, like the, the houses that they buy, that pulls a lot of uh, inventory off the market. So housing prices go up. Those assets they trade rise first and fastest, and the change in price level is then passed on downstream. Preferential access to lower cost of capital is one of the only durable advantages in finance, and for this reason, it is ubiquitously corrupting. For if you must complete compete with one who possesses such as, as access, you desperately need to. Right? In Spain, this was access to all of the new gold being plundered from the Incas, from the Americas. This sort of state preference preferencing and subsidy is not the remedy for unequal wealth distribution, but rather it's progenitor. And we talked about this with like the homeless issue. The government's never going to solve homelessness because the simple fact is it is their policies and regulations that are creating the problem in the first place, but they're never going to admit that either because they, they want to keep rewarding their friends and punishing their enemies. The economic theories that have been brought into existence to claim that this is not so are nothing but pretext for such predatory praxis. And that's the, um, the, the university class, I guess, the, the professors that come in and repeat this nonsense. These masters of this universe are all about increasing their mastery because giving you agency, allowing you to make your own choices is bad for business. Here's Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock. Uh, uncertainty. Markets don't like uncertainty. Markets like actually totalitarian governments where you have a uh, understanding of what's out there. And obviously we're, uh, the whole dimension is changing now with, uh, as you said, a democratization of, uh, of countries. And, and democracies are very messy, as we know in the United States. Uh, you have opinions changing back and forth. Back and forth. That is bad bad for us this is of course complete reality inversion it is no accident that larry is an endless and avid proponent of esg that's the environmental uh you know green bullshit investing and is a key champion of gensler's sec ideas of requiring esg scores and a vast new regimens of environmental impact reporting to reshape investing these are totalitarian ideas. He's happy to provide the, even the big funds support this. You know, everybody's doing a bandwagon argument, right? I doubt they even care what the regulation or the systemic effects are. All they care about, uh, about it, that it dramatically shifts the prices of what is bought and sold and that they get to know what the change will be before everyone else. That is the profit maximizing choice in regimes of legal plunder. <laughs> Big business. See, here's the, the meme from Crowder when he went to the college university. Big business seeks monopoly rents, not free market competition. Changed my mind. No, nope, not even going to try. 
Consider those closest to the initiation of new regulation always benefit the most, and those who propose and write the regulation benefit the most of all. 69, 72,000% return ROI on lobbying the government. They can go buy assets that appear to be of little economic value or competitive worth, and then at the stroke change the whole playing field by taxing or banning competition and subsidizing and mandating their own enterprises. Isn't that what Pelosi did with AMD? Bought a bunch of the stock and then, oh, what do you know? Aid package announced for chips. That's good for business. Wow, we got lucky. I'm Paul, who I didn't tell anything about this, so good that he just recently bought millions of dollars of AMD stock. It has become the primary business model of many such firms. Yeah, because this is, why not? You know, when you give free money and invest it with a guaranteed return, why wouldn't you just do that as much as you can? And then, you know, when the well dries up, what do you do? Well, you better give us $700 billion or the stock market's going to crash. Pete, there will be blood in the streets by Wednesday because that's what the banks told the government. And by the way, you better not tell anybody about this. These people are terrorists. They have co-opted and corrupted and compromised the government at all levels. There is no getting the right people in there to fix this. It's not going to happen. How do they all know to sell right before the Fed started to tighten or buy right before EV and green power mandates? It's not even illegal. They have uh, a specific carve out from insider trading rules. It is 100% within the law to buy stock in companies you're about to regulate. This is literally a casino where you can get your cards and then change the name of the game from 21 to 16 and declare yourself a winner. And everyone involved is making out like a bandit on risk-free profits extracted from force by the freedom and wealth of the people. From the freedom of, and wealth of the people. Yes. This, and it's not just the people, but it's dollar holders around the world. Because they're printing this money to hand it out. And the wealth, it's not, it's not being created. They're not creating any wealth when they print up new dollars. The wealth is being extracted from the existing existing dollar holders. They have uh, cantaloned the money and the markets in their favor and are always drinking first from the flow of funds and favoritism. Larry wins. Nancy wins. All of them are rat finks. Given the way the money flows in circles and the manner in which the same players spend through the public and private revolving doors, we looked at that with the FDA, CDC, they're all back and forth from industry to regulation, back to industry. It is not even a useful question to ask who's in the thrall with to whom. It is just one vast monolith, and its purpose is to steal from you to elevate the few at the expense of the many. This is a deeply ugly system, and trying to ascribe its failures to the very mechanisms like price and market agency that it is prevented from operating constitutes a devastating falsehood that, if believed, will just sink us deeper into the quicksand, which many are already drowning. This is not a failure of freedom. This is a uh, patrician plunderfest perpetrated upon, not for we the people. Every one of these institutions has gone plutocratic. 
and I did Peter Schiff during the Occupy Wall Street movement. I loved, you know, I, he's got his views on crypto, which are a little off, but you know, when you talk about uh, when he went down to the Occupy Wall Street and had the sign, I'm the 1%, ask me anything or something like that. <coughs> and he gets all these people up there. That was one of the great things that they talked about. Well, they get all these favors. It's like, look, look, that's not the free market. That's not a failure of the free market. The free market means you take the risk and you reap the rewards. Or if you're wrong, you go out of business. You know, you lose money and you go out of business. What, what the government's doing is allowing these companies to take risks and then socializing their losses. So instead of allowing the marketplace to punish them, they're being rewarded for their failure and bailed out. And that's, that's not the way a free market works. So don't call this a free market because that's not what we have. And that's what he's pointing out there. Um, and here's BlackRock hiring a former vice chair as an advisor. They are anti-capitalist, anti-market uh, dependencies and agents of the state seeking and clinging to sincere, secure and conferred advantage. Sincure, I think that's like uh, you don't have to work for it, right? Now also owning major shares in the regime itself, lock, stock, and super PAC, right? Because like these politicians, they've just found a way to skirt all the rules with these legal maneuvers, loopholes, and so forth. They buy the folk who run the regulators and induce the new crop to play ball by promising lucrative future employment. And that's exactly what we're going to see from the VSRF committee that's, that's pushing the recommendations for these vaccines for children who aren't at risk. Absolute insanity, 15 to 0, all of them 100% support mandating this poisonous gene transfection bioweapon on children doing God knows what to their fertility, pushing us into handmaiden's tale, uh, children of man territory. And like they, all they care about is that seven figure salary that they're going to get the corner office, no real job responsibilities. Maybe don't even have to show up for work. It's definitely not a bribe. This perception must be overcome uh, or so, sorry, so um, and so the more harm and distortions they inflict, the more they seek to cast the blame on what would in fact be the remedy for those mess, mischiefs. It is the perception that must be overcome for this regime to be overthrown. <laughs> and it's a, a cat here and the queen saying the free market made you eat bugs. No, no, the government. And these corporations, they've all been colluding. They've become this giant monolith and there is no fixing it. There is no like getting the right people in. We just have to start cutting it and gutting it like a fish, right? That's the only solution. And, you know, the only place I differ from the bad cat here is uh, how far we go. I say raise it to the ground and let the market handle it and let's live in a free and prosperous society where we're not threatening our neighbors with violence if they do something we disagree with.
And instead, we're allowing them to make their own choices. So, okay. Let me see where else I wanted to go here. All right. Uh, Let's talk about the Hurricane Ian. So, that's where I've been for the last three of the last four weeks and spent like the last week recovering because, man, uh, when I go out there, I've had the pedometer on my phone and it's 30,000, 40,000 steps in the average day. I'm walking seven to 10 miles in the average day. We take one day off and that's Sunday and I usually sleep an extra five hours when we do that. Um, so the way this one went down, my brother, he's not the most organized person you'll ever meet. And it's amazing how he makes what he makes with as crazy disorganized that he is. So I'm ready to go. I think it was Wednesday, like as the hurricane was making landfall, like I'm ready. It takes two days, 24. It's about a 20 hour drive. I'm like, I'm ready to go tonight, Brooks. He's like, Oh no, no, come over tomorrow. We'll have lunch. We'll, we'll meet in the morning. We'll have lunch and then we'll go. And, uh, so I go out to my brother's and he decides, well, you know what? Now would be a good time to print up business cards and the, the forms that we need to sign people up. <laughs> and, you know, why not? Let's buy a new truck today too. Cause that usually that only takes like 20, 30 minutes, right. To buy a truck. <laughs> of course, couldn't find a truck. Um, there was, he wanted like the work body, which I think has the steps on the side and, um, uh, it's like a, probably a towing package. I don't know what else, but found one, the guy, the salesman was going to do us a real favor and give it to us at just 7,000 over MSRP. <laughs> and my brother told him, you may be about to ass rape somebody today, but it ain't going to be me <laughs> and hung up on him. And we found one, I think it was a Silverado 2,500 or something gas. Cause we didn't want a diesel. Um, and bought that. Of course, he doesn't get home back from that place until like six o'clock or something. And like clocks ticking, clocks ticking. They're they're not ready. He gives me a couple grand and a few other people a couple grand for travel expenses because we're going into an area that may not, you know, cash is only accepted, especially that first week at a lot of places because their payment systems are down. Um, so I finally leave at like seven o'clock at night on Thursday to get out there and, uh, dry, just decide to drive through the night because I've already got my first appointment waiting that I'm trying to make on Friday. And, uh, I got, I, I ended up just pulling off the road and sleeping for a few hours. Once I got tired, this was, uh, one of the, this was the sunrise going in, uh, to Florida and those clouds are from the hurricane passing overhead so the rain had stopped by the time i got down there and we had actually the first week it was nice and sunny all week long um and we ended up spent about 15 hours looking through different neighborhoods on maps looking at the where the hurricanes coming ashore and the projections and the flood maps and all that stuff and mapping out the nice neighborhoods and where we want to target and try and go to And I ended up taking us to Naples, which is like the furthest, almost across from Miami, just on the Gulf side and maybe a little bit north of it. But 
really nice area. I mean, there were Bentleys like this as common as you'd see Toyotas. I mean, they were everywhere. There was one neighborhood where I saw a Rolls Royce Phantom uh, go out as a Bentley like this was, was coming in. And um, we start going around on the first day. Uh, well, I get out there. Don't have moisture meters, which is kind of the main tool that you use when people's houses get flooded. So what we do is we move the whole company and we brought, you know, that, that means shipping or towing five RVs out there from Texas to Florida and a cargo trailer full of fans and equipment and dehumidifiers, a flatbed trailer that has a 60 kilowatt generator sitting on top of it, along with other, you know, seven other generators and some dehumidifiers and scaffolding and different tools and things that we need. Basically, you have to move the entire company to the hurricane to go work this kind of job. And it's, you know, you'll spend 40, 50 grand just getting down there with all the stuff um, and getting everybody set up. Uh, so we did that and didn't have moisture meters because we'll call him cowboy. Who's been working with my brother for at least a year. He did the last hurricane with us. We didn't exactly get along great. Um, he decided he was kind of in charge in the beginning of this. And uh, it was kind of his show to get everything prepared and ready. And that's why the business cards were getting done at the last minute. The forms we were picking up from the printers that afternoon from the UPS store and, you know, all this stuff. Well, he had all three moisture meters with him. And while I drove through the night to get to the first appointment, which I made at like six o'clock on Friday and met with the homeowners and got right out of the car and go into their house and, and check it out and evaluate it for them. Uh, he took three days getting down, had all our moisture meters and we didn't really uh, get to use those for the first few days, which are critical in signing up new business. Cause otherwise you look like just some yokel that doesn't know what they're doing. And, um, we ended up getting connected with a lady that does home watch, which is these rich people have uh, people that they pay to handle like things that go wrong in their house. So got a leak or something breaks or whatever they call the repairman out. They manage the process for them because uh, there are a lot of these are second homes that they come to in the winter. And most of the, the the jobs that we worked, the people weren't living there, weren't even there. It was, it was the home watch people that we were dealing with. And so I get hooked up with this girl named, I think it was Allison was her name and uh, looked at four properties with her. None of them were very big jobs. I don't think we ended up doing any of them, but she turned us over to a guy we'll call Sergeant or the Sergeant. And he had, he was, very well connected and was taking us to houses like this right here. Um, this was one of them that had a thing in the garage, which got flooded, unfortunately, and destroyed. Uh, that's a really rare Volkswagen for those of you that don't know. Uh, and I actually, because it was the first night, this house, they were actually putting the roof on and had the roofing tiles set on the roof, but not installed yet. And 
So I get to go through at night in the dark with a flashlight, checking all the ceilings and walk through the upstairs portion and so forth, looking for leaks and things. And like the master suite in this place was probably a thousand square feet all by itself. I mean, the room was massive, had vaulted ceilings and it had like the bathroom. It had two doors like here and here. Uh, Let me see if I can level this out here and here. And there was a wall in between them and it was like bathroom, closet, makeup counter. So you actually start over here, take your shower in the morning, get dressed, put your makeup on and then go to work. And they all, all three of the the big mansions that we worked on or most all of these had offices. This one had like five steps up and a big office connected right off the master. The other two had doors on them. I mean, it was really cool to see these you know, 10, $15 million mansions and so forth. Um, but this one, it was only the lower part that was flooded. So we did that. Uh, he takes me to another one. This was the bamboo bankers house. Now I'd love to show you pictures of the inside. This was, I, I loved, absolutely loved this house. It was all Polynesian. Let me blow it up. If you look at those gutters, they're copper and they have the little like indents on them, they're made to look like bamboo. And if you see around the windows, the trim and around the corners, that's bamboo as well. Uh, All the trim inside for the doors and windows and stuff, bamboo. And you can see these um, stepping stones here. It's over two koi ponds. So you actually walk up these steps. And if you look at the pattern, I, I don't know if there's a way I can... I don't think I can zoom in on this, but if you look at the pattern, it looks almost like a jigsaw puzzle. And um, in the in the on the stone steps, and that was the same stone that was inside, and it is Jerusalem marble. So this was marble stone brought over from Jerusalem. And if you look, the grout lines are all a quarter inch all the way around these stones. So. And it, it's made to just look totally random. Uh, so whoever did this, they literally spent, I mean, there's so much craftsmanship and work and time put into creating this puzzle piece looking floor that was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And when I told the lady who, uh, you know, she was, she's a big time banker. She was on the advisory board for one of the the big global banks. I'm not even going to say who, cause I, she's likes her privacy. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but, uh, when I told her, well, technically we need to pull the floors up because the flood water gets underneath them. She threatened to tear down the entire house. <laughs> and I spent like 30 minutes kind of getting yelled at cause she was very emotional. They, they go through this kind of, um, like grief, phase right where they've lost all their stuff and they get mad about it for a while and then they kind of get over their grief and they're much more calm about throwing stuff away that got wet and damaged and whatnot and just realizing we've got to tear all this stuff out do it right get it clean for you and bring it back in and that's that's what we go down there and do so we do what are called flood cuts where you go and you know if it's like these, this house and the next one only got a few inches of water. So we did a two foot flood cut where you can cut the sheetrock in half and put two, four, six or eight feet up is the heights that we do it at. And then we bring in all the, we clean it all, 
bring in all the equipment to dry it all out and get the moisture levels back down and then get it ready for build back so that there's no mold growing and it's safe to, uh, to be inside there. So we go to this one with the sergeant, or actually this one was a real estate agent um, that was, is very successful real estate agent in the Naples area. And she took me to this one. This is a friend of hers and, you know, just amazing. All Polynesian inside, probably a million dollars just spent on like this and the backyard because it had ponds in it. There's a guest house back there. It had a concrete wall going around the backyard, but you couldn't even see it because it was all lush plants and gardens and stuff waterfall the slide all there was a stone bridge that the the thickness of the stone was like two feet four feet wide like 10 12 feet long that you walk across the pond on one side and the pool on the other uh bronze dolphins that shot water out into the pool i mean just amazing amazing um and then the next one that the sergeant took me to, or another one that he took me to, was this one that's like a $9 million mansion that looks out over the water, and they got just a little bit of, of um, floodwaters coming in, and we had to do a two-foot flood cut around this one. And uh, this couch right here is uh, of, um, of interest. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I refer to it as the porn couch because it's got the flat spot and that's the one all the porn producers have that they lay the girl on. And anyway, okay. So, um, we get this one and I'm telling him, I'm telling the Sergeant who's the home watch guy that sort of helps all these homeowners who only, only one of them was home and it was these guys everybody else was gone off in New York or somewhere else. Um, so I'm there helping him, helping him, uh, get these guys going. I'm telling them, yep, our crews are on the way, which they were, uh, and they will get them here in the morning. Well, guess what? Morning comes crews aren't here. Their car broke down like a couple hours, a few hours away in Tampa. They're getting that fixed. They'll be here tomorrow or something. Well, I have these homeowners coming in the morning to do the pack out with our crew. And, you know, we were, we had told them we'd be working on this and, you know, shit happens in this environment kind of thing. But, uh, I wanted, I'm not going to sit there and have them show up and see that absolutely nothing has been done. So after lunch, I end up becoming the crew. You know, I did my, um, Matterport and scan this and so forth and have the 3d model and so forth. But then it, I took and spent the afternoon after checking on some other jobs and, and sales calls and stuff. I go and start, I become the crew cause our crew's not there. And I have this owner mentality of, I need to get this job done. I want these customers coming in and seeing that progress has been made and not that their house has just been left to sit for another day when we told them we'd have crew there. So I start working uh, after lunchtime, staging a bunch of their glass stuff. They had a glass artwork and hand-blown glass things all over everywhere. Stage that in one area for the pack-out ladies to come in and be able to like set up a station and wrap all that and box it up and, and uh, store it upstairs. 
And then uh, I'm carrying 20 or 30, probably more like 30 plus paintings upstairs and storing those in bedrooms, taking them off the walls. They had this really expensive Persian rug that had gotten wet that they wanted to try and save. So I'm by myself in there rolling it up. I brought a steel lawn chair into the house. I mean, we're tearing out the walls anyway, so it really didn't matter. I moved a few things out of the way and get this sopping wet rug that's like 200 pounds onto the lawn uh, the pool lounger and roll it back outside and then get it unrolled and I mean it was took me probably an hour just to do that but then I was able to move some furniture in and and kind of get things ready so that when they actually come in tomorrow it looks like oh wow a lot's been done here and it, and it was eventually two of my brother's employees showed up we're going to call them dumb and dumber <sighs> And I get to explain to them, yeah, the crew didn't show up. So guess what? We're the crew. And I enrolled them into helping me for, I don't know, an hour or so at like six to seven 30 or something like that at night. So we wrap up there and then finally get the crew back, uh, the next morning. So we've got all these people in and I, I told them when I met with them in the day or two prior, the homeowners of, of this house, that, uh, you know, make sure you get all your valuables out. We're going to have a lot of people here. Things will move kind of quickly. I just, you know, go through again and double check that you got all your valuables out. And he had like a six watch automatic winder that probably had his five and six figure watches in it that was cleaned out. And there was another one that was empty. So I think he had gotten most of it. But I heard, heard this story uh, the next day because I, I had left in the afternoon and left them to the 20 people that we had there to finish um, or to, to work the pack out while I was working on other jobs. And uh, they told me that they were cleaning out the closet and his guys that were our, our crew that was in there helping them pack out their clothes, the, the his and her closets that, you know, the wife had like all this gold jewelry and was bringing trays and they're speaking Spanish and we have our project manager translating and my brother's employees like helping her, you know, cause it's, it's pretty traumatic for them to go through this. Well, uh, we'll call him John, the, the man, the, the old man, he's like, uh, late sixties, early seventies, short guy, really sweet, really nice, you know, just, um, kind of fragile looking and, and that very CEO kind of um, charm and charisma to him. Well, in his closet, they find two gold Rolexes and they give him those and here, Oh, sir, we found these. Here you go. And he's like, Oh, I forgot about those. <laughs> and then they find this brick of hundred dollar bills <laughs> like this big and it's about a hundred grand. And he's like, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> so here this man goes walking out with two gold Rolexes in, in one hand and a brick of hundred grand under his arm, shrink wrapped brick of hundred dollar bills under his other arm, walks out past our crew, which is, you know, that's a lot of money to them. They're like, so it's just to come any, they hadn't even cleaned out the safe. I think a bunch of gold and silver came out of there as well. So it was just, it's a different world. It really is a different world. Um, so while all that was going on, 
the the storm shutters on the front door were down. Uh, Cowboy, the guy that was supposed to be in charge of all this, he decides we're going to take a cord from the generator and sort of cut the pigtails off and plug it in and try and hotwire the switch to the shutters so that we can raise them to open the front doors for the pack out and, and to carry some of the drywall and stuff out rather than going through the garage. Well, uh, I don't think this is a great idea, but he seems to know what he's doing. So I'm like, okay, I'll just let him do it. I mean, this is my job, but, uh, I come back later and it was like five outlets and now all the outlets are disconnected. The bare wires are sticking out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the door's still down no idea what he was doing and uh we had to get an electrician in to come in and reconnect it all back of course i'm an electrical engineer i could have figured it out without doing all that but he didn't ask me <laughs> so that's what i'm dealing with and we started out the first night in uh, rv so you go down there and it's like i mean it's hard even finding a place to park the rv a lot of times we're in a walmart parking lot for the first several days because the RV places, well, a, their phones may not even be working. A lot of those were out of service because they're typically on the river or, you know, in these flood zones. So they're all flooded out and can't take anybody anyway. So you have to call all of them to try and maybe find one or two that can take you. Um, so that's a chore in itself. Um, and then Cowboy, eventually, he makes it down with the trailers and the moisture meters, so now we can actually go out and look semi-professional and measure instead of <laughs> stand there looking like idiots who don't know what they're doing. Um, and eventually, uh, the crew started showing up, and so they needed the RVs to sleep in because we provide, we, we brought 50, uh, or I think it was about 50 guys down there, and we have to provide housing for them. And that means finding RV places that are together in one park where they can cook for everybody. Cause they had three cooks that were making them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and so we ended up getting this, uh, this Airbnb and this was the first one. So because we needed to move out of the RV and this was available for one night and I just grabbed one of the bedrooms. I'm getting pretty frustrated at this point. Um, we, uh, let's see, they, the, the, my brother's employees, dumb and dumber, they're like, Hey Sam, can we get your hotspot? So the wireless hotspot, that 4g that I use to do the show and to take with me and upload my scans when I'm out in, you know, uh, matterporting people's houses to get them processing faster. And I'm like, Hmm to get the Airbnb set up. I'm pretty sure those like come, you just show up and they're pretty much set up. You don't really need to do anything to set them up. And this was like at four in the afternoon, but I'm like, oh, whatever, here you go. I don't really need it. So yeah, y'all can take it. And, it, and they wanted it because this place didn't have internet. <laughs> so I get there at like, I don't know, seven o'clock or something. And they've been out, off walking on the beach and collecting seashells and having a great time while they, you know, left work early to go set up the Airbnb with my hotspot because they didn't have internet. And I guess they wanted to surf the internet for a little bit or something. And, you know, the next night we moved to this uh, crappy apartment um, 
Airbnb that was like a three bedroom apartment and the water smelled like sulfur. And, uh, I get there at like eight o'clock at night after a long ass day of leaving before them and getting home after them. They didn't give me the address. I had to sit in the parking lot for 15 minutes waiting for that text to come in. And, uh, I get there and it's like, Oh, we saved the couch, the couch for you though. Like they had taken all the bedrooms and I'm the only one that comes in with three cameras, four lights, a tablet and a phone that all have to be plugged in and charged. And I don't want that crap spread out all over the living room. Cause one of these cameras is five grand. And if it breaks, we're done. We, you're not going to get a replacement in the middle of a hurricane from the manufacturer cause they're swamped and you know, everybody's trying to get their broken cameras fixed. So you got to be real careful with this stuff. And I ended up throwing cowboy out of his room and taking it because of all the equipment and boy, that really did not go well. They were very upset with me and, um, I set up all my camera gear and that he's like, no, no. And they, a, a bottle of liquor gets knocked over and breaks. And it was me that hit it. It was unintentional, but whatever. And they, kind of gang up against me and this is the first time that I see oh okay uh cowboy has kind of set up this paradigm of we're the team and we got to get rid of Sam however we can I think that was his strategy for this <laughs> for this uh hurricane and um you know the first I would say big breakdown is this is I, th- I guess the next day at the apartment Brooks had bought this new truck and he said multiple times he wants me in the truck because I'm the only one selling things. So the first week, all five jobs that we got were mine uh, and they didn't sign up anybody (laughs) and they're telling Brooks what a terrible job I'm doing and how I don't know what I'm doing and this and that. And like, I'm the only reason we have any work while we're down there and you know, nice big jobs as well. Well, the lady that the realtor that gave me the bamboo banker's house here, she had another property on a private Island um, that had only three houses and the rest were all like high rise apartment buildings, condominiums, that sort of thing. And this was a $15 million teardown. So it was an old house that was going to be scraped. Whoever bought it for 15 million was going to scrape it and put a new mansion on overlooking the the ocean because this was out on one of the barrier islands. So really exclusive private street, only the three houses there. Um, and I'm going to meet her or she calls me says, Hey Sam, can you come look at this? Give us a bid on, on this one. And, uh, I'm like, absolutely. And so that, but I, I, you know, I had a busy day. She agrees to meet me at the end of her day, like at 6 PM. So I'm sure I'll be there. We'll see you. Thank you. And this lady, well, okay. So I go and Brooks, you know, wants me in the truck, especially for something like this, this real estate agent does two to $300 million a year and she makes 3% on that. So you do the math. She's making herself a multimillionaire every single year, basically. Um, and so like, you know, it's first impressions are kind of important. So she's going to see me. She Brooks wants, wants me to drive up in a contractor's truck. 
And so earlier in the day, I know this is coming and I've got Cowboy and Dumb and Dumber both in Cowboy's driving my brother's $90,000 Denali and the Dumb and Dumber in the the brand new truck that we had just bought. And I'm like, I need one of your trucks. I don't care which, who wants to, oh no, you can't, can't do that. (laughs) So they offer up one of uh, Dumb and Dumber, we'll call him Dopey. He's obviously the Dumber one. Gave me his truck, which is, it's a truck, but it's like midsize. It's not a contractor truck. It's not new, um, but at least it's a truck and not my Toyota, right? And of course, uh, so it's like 5 o'clock, 5.20 or something. I'm supposed to meet her 6.45 or 5.45 to 6, I think it was. And uh, she, I think, got there even early, so you know, it was really important that I get there as soon as I can. Uh, I had been running around all day. I'm in a parking lot trying to find something to eat for dinner at like five, um, 10 or something. And, uh, I'm not seeing anything, but I'm also going to meet this very successful real estate agent that's in her brand new Range Rover and high heels and a nice dress. And I've been in hot Miami weather and air conditioned houses on job sites, dirty and smelly. So, uh, and I'm talking to Brooks, telling him what's happened and he gets upset about the truck that I'm not in it and, uh, calls his guys and gets them on the phone and says, you know, they're at the RV site getting the free lunch that our crew is eating. And like they had just gotten there and they're like, Brooks says, Hey, I want him to have the truck. And they're like, well, he can come get it. I said, no, I can't. 20 minutes over there, 20 minutes back. I'll be late. I'm not going to be late with this woman. And um, so they have to come to us. We tell them that. Brooks tells them that. I tell them, you, you got to leave right now to make it here on time. I'll have a couple minutes to swap out with you. And then I can go to the meeting. I'm five minutes away from it. And I'll see you, see you shortly. Okay, great. Thanks. And so then I run off. I realize I don't really have time to find something to eat. So I run across, I see a CVS, I run over there, go get a tooth, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, something so I don't stink, show up stinking to this, you know, $15 million house. And uh, about, I'm walking back to my car and I finally get a call from them. This is like 15 minutes later. And uh, they're like, they start out the conversation. Well, when you called, we had just sat down to eat. I had just sat down to eat. And so it turns out, they didn't leave and they just decided, well, F you, Sam, F you, Brooks. We don't care what y'all want. We're going to do what we want, which is to sit down and eat now because, you know, they hadn't had dinner yet. Of course, I hadn't had dinner and I didn't have time for lunch either. That's why I was trying to get something to eat before going. And I ended up deciding, nah, I'd rather show up not stinking. And as they're explaining me this to me, I hear this bam. And they're like, oh, uh, wait. And I said, did y'all just get in a wreck? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and somebody had backed into them. Of course, all week at the RV park, they're in this big contractor truck. They never once backed it in. They left the back hanging out into the roadway. So it's probably their fault because, you know, it's not their truck. What do they care if somebody runs into it? Of course, they shouldn't have been there in the first place right? They should have left 15 minutes ago when we all agreed they had to leave right away, but decided to sit down and eat anyway. 
Because, I mean, you know, what does it matter if we don't get the work that keeps them employed, right? It's not their problem. That's, that's mine, I guess. So that was the first kind of big uh, F you. And um, it's just a, it, it got worse from there. So eventually we moved out of the apartment and we found uh, this house right here, which was on Marco Island to the south. It was on the water, like $2 million house, had some flood damage. So we got it 60% off or something like that. Was, I think it was 11 grand for the month. And, uh, you know, after the last night having the whole drama over the rooms and me putting a stop to this kind of college mentality bullshit that was going on. I told the project manager she could have the master because she's the only girl and they put me in what they called the pink room, which is actually the room right over here on the left side. And then the water's out there on the right. So I could see the, the sunrise coming up every morning. Of course I'm awake for that. <laughs> this is one of them that I captured. Absolutely just stunning, stunning views off the back of this thing. Um, you know, I'm getting up 5, 6 a.m. every day. The guys, their alarm's going off at like 8.20, sometimes 8 o'clock, but usually like 8.20, and that's not for them to get out of bed and get ready and get to work. That's when they decide to smoke a joint and then go out to the docks and check to see if they caught any fish, and then maybe a little later they get some breakfast, you know, and, of course, we're 30 minutes away from the job sites in Naples, so they're hitting the job site, their first job site at like 9 30, 10 o'clock. <laughs> and they're telling me that, you know, like they're working hard and they care and whatnot. And this gets into this employee versus owner mentality. And it's um, a lesson that was taught to me by a girlfriend who was an executive and ran her own consulting firm to an industry and actually there was an industry sort of lobbying group that she created her own and displaced them because they weren't doing their job and uh like she did really well and i used to work for when i worked for hewlett-packard and later agilent i'd get a new company car every year and i would just like rag those things because who cares right it's i get a new one next year and whatnot and she kind of pointed out this whole idea of an employee mindset versus an owner mindset, right? And when we moved into this house, uh, we had the project manager and the master. There was another room that was actually two rooms connected. And Dumb and Dumber shared one of the beds and Cowboy shared the other one in the connected room, which was kind of like an office. And then I was in the, the pink room here. <laughs> um walk by that door it's like 60 degrees in there all the time i mean it was a, it was like an ice age going on in there and eventually there was some water damage so i ended up having to check the whole house because we were going to call the owner and say hey we've got what you've got a roof leak do you want us to do the tear out and handle it for you and maybe get this thing for free right um and i see that the thermostat is set at 60 degrees and they were leaving it there the entire time. And what are they thinking? Well, I mean, it's an Airbnb and we've already paid for it and we get to set it to whatever we want. So we'll just leave it 
at 60 degrees and let the air conditioner literally run all day to try and keep that those two rooms that cold rather than turn it up to i don't know 75 even while they're not going to be there for eight ten hours because they don't have this ownership mentality if it was their ac would they leave it running for eight hours for 10 hours for nothing if they were paying that electric bill would they leave it running like that or would they actually care And so I start explaining to my brother, this is how they view your company. Uh, This is how they view your equipment. I get in the truck one time, there's like 12 empty cans in the back, in the, the back seat, back in the crew cab part. I'm like, are they not throwing their trash away when they get gas? So I guess just... Business owners, and even if you are an employee, you can choose to have that employee mindset of, uh, you know, this is free or whatever, or you can choose to have that ownership mindset of, if I owned this, how would I behave? How would I use it? How would I treat it? And there's a big difference between employees that have that kind of mindset and the ones that have the employee mindset of, well, it's free. Well, it's already paid for whatever. It's not mine. And you can guess which one, you know, you want to work. So we've got these, at this point, these five houses going that were all mine. They didn't get anything going and they need me to go to this. um, It's a manufactured home, kind of mobile home park, but manufactured homes that are placed uh, an hour and a half away. This is up um, uh, Fort Myers area, a neighborhood that I skipped because, you know, we get paid by the square foot for the work that we do. And so if you find bigger square foot or like roof damage where the water gets in and we pretty much have to gut all the sheetrock, we get paid more for that. So those are more profitable jobs, obviously. So those are kind of, we want big houses or big properties with a lot of damage that we can go in and mitigate for them and, and get them ready for build back because those are the most profitable. And so like I intentionally avoided these, well, that's apparently where they went to sell and they had this lady that was ready to go. So I drive an hour and a half out there. Now I have a meeting with the Sergeant that I'm now not going to be able to make. So we arranged the night before uh, Cowboy's supposed to go meet with, our most important contact who's given us all these jobs while I go and do the trailer park an hour and a half away and then drive an hour and a half back, spend an hour there. So I go out there um, and sign the talk to the lady, walk through the house, explain what needs to happen, what we need to do, how it works. She signs up, signs the form and there's contention between her and her husband or husband's, wanting to do it she's she's wanting to just like have it hauled away and get a new one because it's of there's so much damage she thinks that's a better route and it maybe it, it is i don't know um so but she signs the paperwork we're gonna have crews the next day show up and start doing the tear out on her house meanwhile this old lady grabs come here come here and she takes me next door to her house and turns out she's a hoarder And she has 
piles of things like six feet high and she doesn't have insurance and we're like a week plus into the hurricane that the, the hurricane's gone for a week. Her stuff's all wet in there. Uh, it's, it's starting to get dangerous and like she needs to get it all out and she doesn't have the resources to do it. She doesn't know what to do. And so I call my brother. I'm like, do you, sometimes we'll do charity cases or something like that. If we have a good, good, uh, trip. And I send him a couple pictures, which I'm not going to show you. And he's like, yeah, no, we can't help her out. And then they did forward it on to some charity groups to try and find somebody. But she's like panicking and trying, you know, I'm like, you've got to get rid of this stuff. She's like, but it's all my stuff. I'm like, yes, but it's going to be growing mold and toxic and make you sick. You will not even be able to be in this house in another week if you don't get all of this out of here and you've got to find somebody to come in and help you get this stuff out of here, we can't do it. I'm sorry. We can't help you for free. Um, and she's panicking and gives, can I give you a hug? I'm like, sure. So I, you know, give her a hug and try and tell her, look, you need to put all your efforts into trying to find somebody to, come in here and help you move this stuff out to the curb. And of course she's going to be wanting to go through every little piece on every little pile because she's not facing reality that she's a hoarder. Her stuff is all wet and the house is going to become uninhabitable within a few days. Um, and there was, well, anyway, we'll come to that. So I eventually make my way out of there and exit the hoarder house there was one of those in uh, Louisiana last year and I threw up in my mouth like four times because tree had come through the roof. He had freezers full of meat that he had no power obviously for the week and the meat was rotting. And I mean, it was the nastiest thing ever. Something scurried out of one of the rooms when I came in and out the broken window that the tree had broke. <laughs> it's lots of fun. Um, so I go back to the lady that I'd signed up. She's now talked with her husband and guess what? They don't want to do it. The husband's changed her, his mind and is now going along with her because she's explained how much work and what I basically told him. And she asked, can we get out of the contract that we signed? And I said, sure. We're, you know, we're not trying to force you into anything. If you don't want to do it, here, tear it. I tore it up in front of her. So that trip's a total waste, but they send me over to kind of the guy who does the maintenance for the park. And... um or for the mobile home park or manufactured home park and helps a lot of people out. Well, he's got a house that he was renovating that needs a tear out. So I go over and actually bid that one. It's 15 grand. And then he's got a, there's a bunch of people, these manufactured homes, they have a plastic vapor barrier that has insulation under it. It's kind of stapled to the underside of the floor. And that ha that that's all wet. So that has to be cut out and, pulled out from underneath and uh, then redone later, but you got to get it dry and there's dead fish and dead alligators under there and mud and it's nasty. Um, well, but he was going to line up a bunch of these and we were going to do them, I think 1200 for 10. If we, if we do 10, 1200 each and a thousand, if we do over 20. And so he was definitely going to get us 20. So that's, you know, with the house, that's about 45 grand. So I managed to salvage the trip and we've got a crew that we can place out there. So we do that. 
And the crew that we sent out there, he decides that he's going to underbid us and lie to us and tell us that his crew left him and that they only got one done and uh, just basically stole the work from us. And of course, we got that lead from somebody that we pay a finder's fee for the lead. (laughs) So that guy's going to want his money. The guy ripped us off for 45 grand. Uh, So that's the kind of craziness that we're dealing with as well. Um, I find out in about the second week that uh, Cowboy, when he got the business cards printed, they printed my brother's phone number, cell phone number wrong. So when people were calling, they were getting a disconnected number. And these are the cards that I've been handing out all week. No telling how much business we lost over that one. In addition to not having the moisture meters for the first three days or day and a half. Um, So yeah, it was not really going very well. Um, And of course my meeting with the Sergeant that had given us all these mansions and, you know, really high end properties, they totally stood him up and didn't, Cowboy didn't even go because he's trying to get rid of me, right? So he's going to sabotage everything that I do. And his goal was to get me to, I guess, go home or something. And then they could keep doing things the way they wanted to do, which is the least work possible with the employee mindset instead of the business owner. My brother tells me like three days in, he's not even coming because his wife's sick and the kids and he can't get away. And (laughs) so I'm just like, holy shit, what have I gotten into here? Um, let me think here. So, you know, that's kind of the environment that we're working in. Meanwhile, the guys at the house, so it's the second week that we're there, they go out fishing on Saturday night. We take Sundays off and that's when I like catch up on sleep for most sleep a full night and then another six, eight hours during the day. Well, they caught a five foot shark off of uh, the Marco Island. It was actually these other guys, they take a thousand pound test line out, drop some bait and then just uh, tie it off to the shore. So they had to reel it in without a a rod and reel and just pull the thing in and fight it in. And they did. And then the next night we had it for dinner. Right. And it was amazing. It was so good. And she made this, uh, the project manager made this, alfredo sauce with crab meat on it and this is the steak over here on the left side and it was like an inch thick it's from the tail section amazing um and they were also fishing off the dock and they dumb and dumber they had this these packs of bait fish that had like 20 fish about this big in them and they had like six or eight packs of those they were in the freezer at first and then they somehow moved to a styrofoam container and they left the styrofoam container in the house without any ice on it with all the dead fish in it for a day and a half. And they were, you know, rotting so that when we came home, when I came home one night, it smelled like rotting dead fish in the house. It was fantastic. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm dealing with here. Um, so we, you know, fast forward another week, just constant drama every single day, constant fighting of they're trying to do the very absolute minimal effort that they can. 
So they go out and they place these fans and dehumidifiers once the tear out's done. And uh, that's what dries out the house and gets the moisture levels down. And there's a certain way you set those up. And one uh, Dopey, the, the dumber guy, he's worked for my brother for like a couple years when he had the Service Master franchise. So he should know what's going on. Uh, in one case, they dropped off 30 fans without what's called these spider boxes that plug into the 60 amp stove and the 40 amp dryer and give you more outlets to be able to run all the equipment because it pulls, you know, 100, 200 plus amps on some of these bigger houses because we've got to put so much in there to dry it out. And I go back to, um, I go back to the waterfront mansion place, which, uh, by the way, after investing for a long time, investing early in XRP and holding it, I am now able to, um, sit here in the seat of this flooded Bentley, uh, GT convertible. <laughs> and that's his, uh, Maserati in the driveway back there as well. Both those cars destroyed, the seat was wet, but it was worth it to take the picture. Um, so back at this house, they are, and it's actually uh, this one right here. I, I show up there, half the equipment's off because one of the 200 amp breakers has been tripped, is, has been switched off. And so like they apparently left half the equipment. Now these are millionaires who can just write a check for this and not wait for insurance they had their remodelers coming in the day after we're finished. I had to push them a day because, you know, the house wasn't getting dried out like it was supposed to because the equipment wasn't running because apparently they didn't know how to set it up. <laughs> so I'm having to teach them that. I go to the next job, a, a little um, main and guest house right downtown uh, Naples, right there in the downtown district. They're older houses. And half the equipment's off and all the windows are open. Now, if these are dehumidifiers, you, they, they're not going to work if the windows are open because you can't dehumidify the whole world. And like these guys should know this. Did they care? No, because they're employees. They're not there to solve the problem. Same thing. She was having the house raised. The architects were coming and bringing in the, the um, construction crews to do all this the day after we finish because they want these back going because they have the money and the resources to pay for this and make it happen and then settle up with the insurance later. And so that's what all of these houses were doing. They were all under the gun and I'm going from one to the next to the next finding that they did absolutely the minimal effort. They, did, they didn't tape off like they're supposed to. The larger areas, if you have a small confined area that's wet, you seal it off with plastic to uh, allow it to dehumidify. If it's a bigger space, you'd have to place a lot more equipment. If you don't do that, they weren't doing that. So the things weren't getting dried. The jobs I didn't supervise, they didn't do the tear out right. I mean, just every single thing was broken. But if you listen to them, I'm the problem. And I think I'm the problem <laughs> because I'm the one pointing out that they're not doing their job. And like, uh, through the, towards the end of this last week or the week before last, uh, Dummer called up my brother and asked him for a raise. And they all, they both wanted to know if, uh, there was opportunity to move up in the company. And my brother laughed at him. 
and said, uh, yeah, you're not even worth the $15 an hour I'm paying you now uh, because you're creating problems for me rather than solving them. And it's all goes back to that mentality. Business owners are there to solve the problem for the customer, not there to do the minimum job they can get away with and then run to the Airbnb to go fishing, which by the way, they were, they drank at least two of those 1.75 liter bottles of liquor and at least five, 12 packs in the kind of two weeks that we were there. Um, cowboy, he ended up, uh, shortly after, like in the second week at the rental house, uh, picking a fight with me and, uh, they, they, I just stopped engaging with them and started tweeting to everybody, to this group tweet that my brother was on and all of them were on. And they, they were, Cowboy was getting really pissed off because I wasn't engaging with him and was just (laughs) pointing out what they were doing so that my brother would see it and so forth. And they ended up putting a Bluetooth speaker pointing down the hallway. This is 11 o'clock at night. I'm trying to get sleep. I got to be up at six and, uh, you know, have a 14 hour day on top of that. 30,000, 40,000 steps and walk seven or eight miles around all these different job sites. And, uh, they're out on the patio with the music just blaring down the hallway because they want to piss me off. And his goal is to get me sent home. Well, when I don't engage, he starts getting madder and madder and coming to the door and yelling things, telling me he wants to put my head through the wall and go home and this and that. And eventually I go out and take the speaker, turn it off, put it on the counter go into the laundry to switch over my laundry, I think. And he comes in stepping on my toes, pushing me. I go out to the retreat to the garage, call the police. I'm not putting up with that. Um, He ends up going home and by the way, Oh, we don't have a place for you anymore. So he gets fired, tells the guys that uh, he's quitting because of me. And this, and then later I think they asked for a raise because well, if we have to put up with Sam, we're going to need some more money. When really the reality is if Sam has a problem with you, it's probably because you're doing a really shitty job. And if you don't fix it, you're going to get fired too. (laughs) So that's happened to also to one of those two. The other one maybe has some potential. We'll see. But I mean, my gosh, I was so stunned at the mentality of these guys. I mean, they're young kids. Yeah. (coughs) but they just didn't care. And then they sit there and tell me to their face, to my face that, (coughs) that they care and they're working hard because they're not coming home till six o'clock some nights. I'm like, well, you hit the job site at 10 AM. Hello. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of frustration. So they eventually back at this house, it's dried out, did really well. We got everything done. Uh, we only had to push the reconstruction guys a day before they came in and we had all our equipment out of there. I actually, uh, this couch, the homeowner didn't want it, was going to throw it out because it got just a little bit of water on the bottom and things can go wrong with the electronics. This is, you know, the 10, uh, I thought it was a $10,000 couch. So we moved it outside in the sun to sit for a week because it was sunny and nice like this right after the hurricane and then it rained for weeks after that. Uh, and I, we pulled it in and I decided, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take this home. 
So I wrap it up and our billing guy comes over and he looks at the tag. I'm telling him, this is the porn couch, 10 grand. This thing's got to be $10,000. And uh, he looks up the tag and we look it up on Amazon and or uh, on Google and it's not a $10,000 couch. It was $25,000 <laughs> and it's sitting over in my living room, which was a major, major ordeal because the guys, they did not want me to bring this couch home. They made up every excuse about how it's not going to fit on the trailer. There's no room. And when we were packing out the, the equipment at this house, I said, we're getting the couch. And they're like, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. Well, I opened the trailer and there's, this is a, our 20 foot cargo trailer. There's shit strewn about everywhere. Nothing was strapped into the walls. Uh, there's a roof box of roofing nails with the little round things sticking up on the floor. And those will stand up and stick in the bottom of your shoe. And of course that's why it won't fit. Cause they don't want to clean up the trailer. And we have all this gear in the trailer that they didn't use. Instead they took Brooks's credit card and spent eight grand on new tools, stuff that like we already had in the trailer. Cause they just didn't want to organize the trailer. It's much easier just to, you know, I guess buy everything new for them anyway. So I spend 30, 45 minutes uh, cleaning this up, organizing it, stacking it. And what do you know? All kinds of crazy room to get the couches out of there. They eventually move them over to the flatbed, cover it with a tarp. And my final day there, I'm uh, just trying to get the couches set up, ready to go on the trailer. They're trying to tell me it won't fit. We had to load the generator, the 60 kilowatt diesel. Uh, it's like a trailer pull, big generator. We loaded that on the flatbed to haul it back with some the seven other uh, more portable, like uh, wheeled generators that we have that are, I don't know, 5,000 watts or something like that to run fans and stuff when power's out. Um, and so I spend the morning that I'm trying to leave to get back to meet my daughter for her soccer game and get her for the about 30 hours over the weekend last weekend. And, um, they're telling me I want to get the generator loaded. So we had worked out the night before that they bring the generator out. We'll put it on the trailer and go, well, uh, they start to, they call and like, well, Brooks needed them to pick up a check so they can't come right now. I said, okay, that's fine get that taken care of and then come over here. So they, and I keep working, loading the trailer up, getting everything packed on there. And then, uh, they call again. Well, we've got, we've got a lot of jobs to do and we need to go visit the sites and we've got to drop equipment here and pick up equipment. I'm like, no, you need to bring the generator and load it on the trailer. And this turns into a whole big fight. And eventually um, I'm on the phone with Brooks. They're telling me the couch isn't going to fit either. And then they're going to leave it on the side of the road. <laughs> and I'm on the phone with Brooks, like the couch is coming or I'm bringing the Matterport camera back and you can figure it the fuck out. I don't care. I told my daughter, I'm going to be at her soccer game at two o'clock on Saturday. I have to leave today. Get them the fuck here. And then I put the phone down and I didn't even hang up and I just walked away. I was so mad. <laughs> so eventually this is in the Walmart parking lot. They show up with the truck towing the generator, which by the way, I, uh, at eight, eight thirty, I went in, I went into the room and to look for the keys to the truck into their room to look for the keys to the truck. And, um, 
couldn't find them. Uh, Dom asked me, Hey, where's the, what are you doing? I said, Oh, I'm looking for the keys to the truck. You know where they are? I'll find them, get out of here or whatever. I'm like, okay, fine. So I was just, I was literally trying to help them get ready for their day by turning the truck around in the driveway, hooking up the trailer, plugging it all in. So it's ready to go and they can drop it to me 20 minutes away at the Walmart parking lot and get it loaded on the trailer. Well, uh, Dopey comes out saying, uh, what are you doing going through my stuff? Because I literally moved some things on the nightstand looking for the truck keys. That's my brother's truck that you know they wouldn't let me borrow to go on the sales call, which, by the way, we got that job. It was 30 grand. And then the next day we lost it. And that was the last time we talked to her. So that was great. Um, <laughs> apparently they went with somebody that was local that could do the build back because we're not licensed contractors in Florida. You have to be. Um, so they're telling me when they're finally ordered that it's not going to work because you have to have two trucks, one to hold the trailer. Otherwise, when you put the generator on the, the 20 foot flatbed will tilt and I told them to look in the back of the truck and they'll find a jack stand that I put in there this morning to solve exactly that problem before they even identified it. And they, I think, felt pretty stupid about that. <laughs> and they show up and they park the truck a ways away from the trailer and they get out. We're not helping you. And they walk away and go into Walmart. So now I'm backing the thing up by myself, setting the ramps with for the trailer to get that on there and then getting out, checking it, moving the ramps for the truck tire with because <coughs> you have to back the truck up on there to get it all the way centered on the wheels. And I do all this and uh, Dom comes back out and, and uh, I said, do you, ha where are the wheel chocks? He said, oh, we don't have any. I said, can you go into Walmart and get some? And he says, no, I'm not doing that. Like, okay, I'll go get them. So I take the keys out of the truck because, you know, this is a, a 5,000 pound plus generator, um, probably 7,000. And uh, it's not safe to leave it sitting on the trailer where it could roll off and hurt somebody. And so I go, I'm walking back, I get the part and dumb comes in and finds me at self checkout. And he's like, Sam, give me the keys to the truck. And I'm like, uh, no, I, the truck's not going anywhere until we get wheel chocks on the generator. So it's safe. Give me the keys to the truck. We got to go. We're, we're in a hurry. I'm like, uh, no, see, that's not exactly how this works. You weren't in a hurry when you dropped the truck and walked away and didn't help me load it. You weren't in a hurry because you didn't go in and buy these. When I asked you to, you told me to do it. So now you don't get to pretend like you're all of a sudden in a hurry. And what they did is they had decided that they were just going to unhitch the trailer which they had they had done and thankfully it didn't roll off but then they realized i took the keys and that's when they got mad and came into the walmart <laughs> so i come out there put the chalks in give them the, the keys and they go tearing out of there and uh eventually i leave head home we have our billing guy haul it back now they didn't have the ratchet straps for whatever reason they put those on the cargo trailer so we couldn't even secure it down. So they had to go and do that. And they were telling me how it wasn't going to fit and there's not enough room because we had seven generators to add. Well, the trailer finally shows up home with the couch, just like I had packed it with the generator, just like, like I had 
set it on there and they had applied the chains and the, the ratchet uh, binders and they didn't put bring any other any generators on there. You could have easily fit three to six on this empty tra- half empty trailer, but they wanted to be so right about everything and uh, prove me wrong and make me the bad guy that they didn't do that. And we ended up getting another U-Haul trailer one way to to bring back with with uh, Dummer's truck, and so it was just. It's so ridiculous that these kids don't even see how, like, it's amazing to me that they're like, well, we want to move up in the company. And the reason why is because, like, there was one day where we had, Brooks had cash flow issues because it's, you need a quarter million dollars to do this, to go down there and do this up front to pay for everything. Um, And he was a little shy of that. And, uh, we also had the crew boss. His wife took the money that we gave them to pay the crew, which was 45 grand for one week. Uh, and apparently she spent it. He couldn't pay the crew and they got mad and quit. So I didn't have crew for three days, which meant I was the crew. So just like that first day packing out, if we don't have crew there, I still am responsible to get this job done. So I become the crew. I'm carrying furniture out to the street. I'm digging drywall out between the floor and the, studs because the floor those um jerusalem marble floors at the bamboo house were an inch thick and the drywall was buried back behind them so that was a major chore um you know they one day had to do tear out on one of the trailers because the crew didn't show up that was supposed to come and man they were so pissed off and then when i brought them over to when brooks sent them over to me to help dig sheetrock out of the thing they couldn't wait to put those tools down and line up a crew to come the next morning because they did not want to work and that's why they're wanting to move up they think they're above this and like they don't even comprehend that i i was the crew for four days out of the three weeks that i was there i was you know digging shit out i was vacuuming i was sweeping i was doing tear out. I was carrying crap out to the curb. I I mean, I I don't care what it is. I'm there to get the job done, to do it right, to solve the problem and to get these people to dry out and finished so that they can start their build back, which they were all very eager to do because they had the resources to do it. Meanwhile, these guys are leaving equipment turned off, going in, setting up equipment that's not even running and leaving it. They're leaving trip breakers and not solving those problems. They don't know that they're supposed to use the spider boxes. They don't, uh, they're not even closing windows. They're not masking off areas like they're supposed to. They just do the minimum possible and they want to raise and the ability to move up in the company because I mean, obviously they've mastered the technician role so beautifully. And it's just like, what is happening to the work ethic of this generation? I just, I, uh, it's unbelievable to me. It really was. So, and of course, when they went to that house to pick up all the equipment with the trailer, they just left the truck running. And I mean, we were loading that thing for an hour and a half. So I guess their plan was to leave the truck running empty for an hour and a half. Cause Hey, I mean, they're not paying for gas, right? And the last week, <coughs> I saw this sign go up. This was coming into Naples. 
And these were kind of in the medians of the road saying, warning, unlicensed contracting is a felony during the existence of a state of emergency. And this is the Florida statute, so-and-so. And of course, one of the jobs that we picked up was the Naples Community Church. They had a restaurant that had gotten flooded that was they had kind of like a strip mall that was their church on one end and a restaurant at the other and another empty space in the middle. Um, the restaurant had gotten flooded. They had a their firewall where their cook line was on the other side of that was wet, but it had been treated but not dried. So we And there was still tear out that needed to be done. And then there's the lobby and a couple bathrooms and other areas, one area by the chapel. So we came in, did all that, got it dried out. They were trying to just get it turned around as quickly as they could. Um, and in the area with the elevators and the two bathrooms, the GFCIs went bad. <coughs> I found another one, plugged it in. It burned up within an hour. Had the same thing happen at one of the houses. And that's something you're supposed to get a licensed contractor for. Now, I'm an electrical engineer. I've installed and replaced hundreds of GFCI outlets over the years. I know how to do that. It's not really that hard to do, but technically that's a licensed contractor. And, you know, I'm not trying to get charged with a felony for changing out a GFCI outlet. So we had to tell the church, I'm sorry, you know, we don't, we don't have any way we can't change this outlet. They, they called an electrician all the electricians are slammed there's not enough of them because they're artificially limiting with the with the licensure and all that and so we actually had to you know bill them an extra i don't know twelve fifteen hundred dollars to bring out a generator place it there fuel it run it for a week to power all the fans because we couldn't replace the gfci because of this because government's here to protect consumers from those unscrupulous people who didn't get the government's permission to come in and, and work and help people. And like, I get it. There's, you know, it has to be done right, but this is their solution to everything. And it ties back in with what we were talking about. And it's just, it has to be rolled back. We've got to, put this back in the hands of the free market because they can be more innovative and solve these problems. The government's only going to lead us down the road to plutocracy and cronyism and technocracy and uh, Orwellian dystopian future for our children. And if we just, you know, Oh, we just get the right people in there. That's not going to fix shit folks. We have to dismantle this thing, tear it to pieces and spread the splinters to the wind, you know, just like JFK wanted to do with the CIA. So that was the sunset off the back dock uh, of my last day out there. It's absolutely beautiful place. <coughs> and by the way, fellas, never ever let a woman dock your boat, okay? If she wants to dock your boat, you just tell her, no, look, I'm the man. I'll be doing the motorboating around here. Thank you very much. And you just handle it. <laughs> this was the uh, mobile home, one of the mobile home parks. The guy that we went into, his uh, like great grandfather was a uh, came over penniless, 
nothing in his pockets to get away from his mom who remarried after his dad died and he didn't like that. So he got away from her. He ended up building ships and becoming a millionaire. And this was his grand grandfather or great grandfather that he had an oil painting of. I thought it was really cool. And he lived in his trailer and he had a big catamaran just off the back of his house that he would go out and sail. And that was his life. And I think, I don't think he had any kids or whatever. And we ended up doing the tear out and stuff for him. So meet some interesting people and uh, just, I don't know, get to interact with some interesting folks. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people were business owners and successful and it's uh, makes you step up your game. Certainly. Uh, I got, when we were screwing up, like they knew it because they had been on the other side of it in their own, you know, respective fields and they could tell something's not right here. And they would always, you know, really hold us accountable. So it was very interesting. Okay. That's it. So I now have the porn couch over here in the living room. It's amazing. It's, uh, it was made in Italy. It's like eight and a half feet long one side and 10 feet the other side. It's all electric. I'll be uh, testing it out next weekend, apparently, or next week, I guess. <laughs> Putting it to use. Um, anyway, and that's it. So there you go. I, I mean, wow. I, it was just... It was so stunning. Oh, and that, that jo- the um, dopey kid over the whole looking for the keys to the truck on the nightstand, he wanted to come out and fight me in the driveway. And at Walmart, during all of this, I'm yelling back and forth at them. You guys are fucking idiots. You don't care. And they said, no, we do care. I'm like, Shh, no, you don't. Here's why. Well, uh, dopey decided to come up and try and choke me. And he grabbed the back of my neck. And I mean, the dude's like a, buck 50 maybe i just kept walking away from him he let me go and realized i think maybe that's not a good idea because if he had kept going he would have got knocked out so guess what he's going to be looking for a new job too (laughs) so all right folks that's it i've been rambling and rambling i'll open it up i think i can do questions if anybody wants to ask anything or whatever um, as far as the show goes, so like, well, what am I going to do with it? Um, I'm going to give my brother a couple days a week to help him. He's got a couple, a couple houses that he bought that he's turning around. You know, he just lost two thirds of his, maybe all of his employees. So I'm going to give him a couple days a week to help him out with that. Um, I also, you know, I'm getting like 800, a thousand dollars in donations for doing the show. It, the way I was doing it, these three-hour shows that run really long and um, this was a little bit rambling, but uh, generally packed with a lot of content. Take It's a full-time job to put those together. So I couldn't live on that. I couldn't keep doing that. I've got to figure something out. Uh, so I'm going to, I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but uh, at least for the, for the time being, I've got cash to pay rent and all that. And, and also in the early days when I started, part of the bargain was, you know, I was, I've always been subsidizing the show and, uh, you know, it's never made enough to 
pay all my bills kind of thing. Uh, but it allowed me the freedom to spend time with my daughter. And now that she's in school, I don't really, you know, I don't get to spend that much time with her because she's also doing soccer and dance and art classes and everything else that her mom enrolls her in. Um, so now it's like, I don't get that benefit. So I've got to, I've got to figure it out. I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I want to keep doing it. I enjoy doing it. And I think if I can give my brother a couple days and maybe, I don't know if I'm going to change the format or just do fewer shows or what, but I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. So as far as Twitter goes, I mentioned that in the beginning of the show. Um, I will be, if they, I'm just going to wait, give them a week or two, see what they do. If they unban all the banned accounts or if I can come in and appeal, I'll do that and rebuild I do not really want to start over. I mean, I might just to have an account on there that I can use, but am I going to put all my energy and time into it? Like I, I've done that four times now and <laughs> I'm tired of it being wiped away on a whim. And, uh, I'm just, I, I we, it's a, it's a terrible solution. Even with Musk, I mean, say he turns out to be this benevolent dictator and, uh, you know, the idea there is you have this benevolent dictator. He only cares about his circle and what he wants to do to exploit the country or the people. And so as long as you don't cross him, you're generally more free there than in other societies, democracies and so forth. Um, maybe that's what Twitter will be. I don't know. It would be nice to have, you know, a place where free speech reigns and, where ideas can actually be challenged without fear of censorship. Ham and eggs is open. Okay. I'll have to look at that. That's interesting. Well, actually, let's go check that out. Hold on one second. Let me, um, saying it doesn't exist right here I don't know if I'm spelling it right what was it green eggs and Sam wasn't it <coughs> yeah there oh oh what no I don't think that's me I don't know I think they're all still locked so he said that um He's going, he's not unbanning anything until this council meets or whatever. And then we'll see. But, uh, I, I'm pretty sure they're all still locked. I know the, uh, to the lifeboats one still is. I've checked that one a couple of times. I don't really care about the last one I had that got up to 10,000 or something. Um, I'd like to have my personal one that I can kind of focus on crypto and stuff and to the lifeboats that focuses on the show. That'd be fantastic. If those get unlocked, I'll come back and be a part of Twitter and still be on some of the alternative platforms as well. Cause I'm just so tired of having everything in one place only for it to be wiped away because it, uh, it just conflicts with where they're trying to propagandize us. And it, 
it's just gotten it's gotten so absurd clowns to the left as as uh, elgato mallow was saying so it's it's becoming a circus and um the the economy crashing is going to be the next big thing so another little story here that i can tell you guys um while i was down in florida and i was going around knocking on doors finding out if people need help with uh you know fixing their house (coughs) these guys invited me in to take a look they had i think pulled all their contents but not the drywall and stuff so i was talking to them about that they're telling me about their neighbor which um you know their house was old and and what you'd find is these older houses that were built below the current floodplain they get flooded and they pretty much instantly become teardowns and um the reason is because the dirt which that's what they call the the empty lot after you scrape the house is worth the money not so much the house that's on there so when these houses flooded especially the ones that are on the water uh well they're now worth five million dollars or something whereas they might have been two a year a few years ago and so they just tear the house down rather than fix it and then put in a mansion like this well there was a house like this next door to these guys that have one of these older houses and they told me that their neighbor was sitting on 200 million dollars in dirt and what does that mean that means he's got probably 20 empty lots dirt that is worth currently 200 million dollars now did he put 200 million dollars down no his house was probably 5 million and uh, I doubt he had that kind of cash on hand which means he bought those on credit or leveraged and he's making payments on them holding them he's basically speculating on real estate because I mean hey it can only keep going up right and so He's got all these houses, all these lots that he's probably 5% down on, probably paying as much as he can because, boy, this is going to pay off big for him, right? I mean, he's got $200 million worth. The market goes up. It's going to be $400 million, and then he's made $200 million. And what, he does, what these people don't realize is that the interest rates are going to keep going up. It's going to become more and more expensive to buy a home. And there will be fewer and fewer buyers. The hurricane hit, and now you've got all these new teardowns, all these new scrapes, which means massive flood of inventory. So prices are going to temporarily depress. But what nobody realizes is the die-off, right? You've got 8,000 excess deaths per week right now. Been going on, climbing, going on 400,000 excess deaths. These are people that don't need houses. They don't need their cars. They aren't working at jobs anymore. This is demand destruction in a way that we've never really seen before. And all of these things combined are going to absolutely tank the housing market. And people like this guy that, you know, was sitting on 200 million in dirt, I think is about to get royally screwed and has no idea, no idea what's coming because they just, whew, yeah. So anyway, that, that that's happening as well. And I think, you know, we're just going to see major, major economic dominoes falling 
gas prices going back up after the election, after, you know, Biden's tried to manipulate that to buy votes. And I mean, it's just, uh, keep preparing folks. Cause it's, uh, it's going to get ugly. I mean, we're, we've got a long, long ways to go before this thing starts to turn around. There's a little bug flying around. So there you go. Um, it would good. It would be good to see you shoot the sheet with McCarran again. I, I did the show with him, so you can watch that. Would be good. I also, on my way back, I stopped in Tampa and hung out with a couple, a listener and his girlfriend. Had a great time. He was all into uh, farming and had worked on some sort of uh, like modern, some of the, mm, I don't know what the right term for it is, but not like the traditional ag, but more of the modern farming, I guess would be the way to do it. And he had a little plot going in his backyard and uh, his girlfriend was worked in a veterinarian's office and we were talking about some of this stuff. And I pointed out to them, you know, y'all may not have mountains of food and supplies and gear and stuff. He was looking for land to farm, but what y'all both have is she has an ag science background as well. Um, Y'all both have skills and if it gets bad enough, it's going to, you're going to create communities and you guys will be desired at any community because one of you has got farming experience and the other's got animal care experience. Everybody's going to be raising livestock in that situation if they can. And, uh, you know, the veterinarian skills apply to humans as well. So, you know, the, the, the skill sets can really save you in this kind of environment. If you can help people, solve problems and be an owner instead of an employee. So, all right, there you go. I've rambled on for far too long. That was my trip. It was awesome. Had a good time, learned a little bit. I'm going to help my brother kind of be more prepared and solve some of these problems. There's training issues on his part. There's organizational things we need to create kits for each of the different roles and do better with managing crews i mean we were getting screwed on the crews because brooks wasn't organized to run a crew of 40 people and neither was the job uh the job boss or the crew boss and so i just put a stop to that and we found new crews and brought them in and it went fine from then on but it was just so much craziness in an environment that's really tough from the get-go that's, you know, why we get paid what we do to go down there and do that because it's hard work. Not a lot of people can do it and it takes a lot of resources and equipment and things to make that happen. So that was my month. And then again, going forward, I'll figure out what I'm going to do with the show, how I'm going to, I don't know, uh, reinvent it to work within um something that takes less time to prepare and put shows together. Maybe they're shorter or I just do them less frequently and allows me to help my brother out in the way he needs it and uh, pay bills and all that sort of thing. So there you go. Thanks everybody for listening. I, I, there's probably five people left. <laughs> Y'all have a great night. I'll be back uh, when I'm back. I don't know when that's going to be. I'm, it's definitely not next weekend. I'm going to have my, uh, daughter again going crystal mining in Arkansas <coughs> on Sunday. So probably the week after that for sure. So I will see y'all next time. Thanks everybody.
running out of time to wake the people up I see a few waking up but I don't see enough If you wanna hear some real rap then turn the speaker up They locked in Assange and I felt to free him up Rest in peace black the ripper let me like this weed I live like a lion I don't wanna die a sheep You can't kill me for talking about genocide The body stops working but the spirit never dies I'm looking at this pandemic from a bird's eye They're lying to the people not for the first time I just wanna see peace like the merch sign I tried DMT not open up my third day 